Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Well, there was supposed to be an announcement with regards to Phase 4 yesterday, kicking in on Monday. There was an announcement, but it was an announcement of deferral. So uh, pubs won't reopen. Uh, you also won't have uh, hotels getting back to full, full business and, and stuff like that. You won't see changes in gatherings indoors and outdoors, not in the short term. Certainly no action at all until August the 10th. But the papers this morning are dominated very much by that, with the Independent putting the blame squarely um, on young people. Young get the blame as pubs told to stay closed. Uh, the vent nurse is saying that uh, at this stage now, uh, many pubs that have been closed for five months, a lot of them won't reopen. And to help them to reopen because, um, you know, they're absolutely devastated, they would need grants, not loans now, not cheap loans, but grants of up to 50 grand but it's the parties have put the hammer blow on the pubs particularly rural Ireland because a lot of rural Ireland the pubs are quite small and on a regular night you'd only have a handful of people in there anyway but house parties could lead to the spike in COVID cases according to the Taoiseach he makes the uh, papers this morning reading from the Echo he's warned about house parties as well they're the issue in the rising number of uh, COVID-19 cases the question I'm asking though is if house parties are the problem why are pubs remaining shut? Pub openings delayed is the front page in this morning's Echo. Concern at the COVID-19 reproductive rate, which is said to be somewhere between 1.3 and 1.8. We'll have more on that a little later on. The Red Tops say blast orders. That's the headline making the mirror today. Pint of pain is the front page of the Sun. Um, the star this morning locked behind bars. Pubs said they've been dealt a hammer bows. The government decided not to move to phase four of the exit strategy. The mail this morning says the brides are in tears, but beating the virus is a priority. I'd love to know how many people actually had planned a wedding for the back end of July or August anyway. I think the vast majority of them had been put off to next year. But the government delaying for phase four amid a spike in cases. Um, and there are different issues then regarding the roadmap um, as to where we're at now, where we'll be on Monday. Uh, pubs which do not serve food, nightclubs, casinos, all that kind of thing. August 10th, but I will come back to the roadmap a little later on. But as I say, it's a big problem for pubs and also a big problem for hotels um, in terms of the number of people allowed to gather indoors, remaining at a maximum of 50 and what have you. Uh, Professor Tom Cotter at UCC is saying that masks should have been mandatory all along. You will have to wear masks now in public buildings indoors, not not in the workplace, mind you, and obviously not outdoors unless you choose to do so. But when you're shopping... I'm not 100% sure from when. I mean, is that from this morning? Is it from Monday? They don't, don't seem to say. And meanwhile, Professor Jerry Killeen is saying that when you see an uptick in cases, it's a bit like an iceberg. You're only seeing the tip of the iceberg with the uptick in cases. What's going on in the background is a lot more. Uh, with regards to the virus manifesting itself and breeding and germinating. Um, and then, of course, you've got to ask yourself the question, why is all of this happening when people are allowed to come into the country, particularly from America, particularly from states in America where they're not even allowed to travel around their own country into other states, the likes of, say, Texas and problems like New York and and Florida, but yet they're allowed to come over here. So it's very, very confusing because there's no change in that regard. In fact, uh, we will get a list of countries where you can travel to on Monday, this green list of countries where you can travel to on Monday. But believe it or not, the recommendation is still not to travel. So why give a green list of countries at all? 
it sounds as if they kind of make this up as they go along a lot of the time. There's other stories in the papers today and the courts are taking no nonsense for people who spit at guards. Another Cork man has been, uh, who spat uh, at a guard of patrol car twice in the city centre. Uh, he's been jailed for uh, two months. Corkman spat at a guard of patrol car twice in the city and then said he would be, uh, it would be against his personal code to apologise to the guard. Uh, that was inside in court and the judge was having none of that nonsense. <laughs> The, uh, opera, and the Opera House dominate uh, the, uh, and you heard in the news as well, they're talking about the Triscoll and Kino and stuff like that but um, the, the amount of numbers that can go into the Everyman is quite tiny actually I think they usually take something in the region of uh, 750 uh, but they will be reopening soon but the numbers will be much, much less than that and the same for the Opera House The Apple tax makes many of the papers the government now have to wait and see if uh, the European Union will appeal the decision um, that Apple don't have to pay us 13 billion in a tax rate that was deemed to be not an equitable or fair tax rate by the European Union, but they lost it in the courts. Um, Pascal Donahue says that it was always Ireland's position that Apple never got preferential treatment, but if you call that tax rate not preferential treatment, I'd love to see what it is. Michal Martin's under fire on the door. What's amazing, I spoke to Michal Martin last Monday week on the air, and the Friday previous to that, he knew about this rumour, uh, this rumour, this allegation that Barry Cowan denies that he tried to do a U-turn and drive away from the Garda checkpoint. He knew about that back then, but what he's saying now about that is he did know about the rumour, but he had no proof that it was truthful. Cork Airport are dismayed because the County Council are giving planning uh, yeah, to um, a house, apparently, to be built less than 400 metres from the end of the main runway. Sounds quite close, but I assume the planning authorities know what they're doing. Cork Airport just don't get it. If you work long hours, then you're twice as likely to be sick. And then Banksy went on an overnight train, a tube train in London, and put up some mega Banksy art about the coronavirus. And he put up stencils and he was spraying the whole carriage. It looked fantastic. And what did they do the next morning? They washed it all away. I think the Banksy art was probably worth more than the tube station but they washed it all away. And then apparently, if you're a sports fan, guess who is the most polite soccer fan in the UK? Manchester United are the top of the league for politeness when it comes down to cussing and swearing. Apparently, Manchester United fans are the least foul-mouthed in the Premier League. The worst, apparently, are Watford, Follaby Crystal Palace, Spurs, Southampton and Wolves. Uh, but way down the list, of course, Manchester United in 20th position. Liverpool come in at 13. They're kind of neither good nor bad. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. A lovely article also making the echo today. Can we wish uh, a happy fourth birthday to little Zach Higgins, who nearly died in a hit-and-run incident in Cork last year. Celebrated his fourth birthday yesterday. Um, and I'm trying to organise with his ma'am to send him off on a few different tourist attraction visits over the back end of the summer. Happy birthday, Zach. And regards to you and all your families. I know I'm 24 hours late. My apologies for it. Lines are open at one 106 Well, that's the news. Everybody was waiting for it yesterday. We had an inkling that the pubs would not be allowed to open. Michael O'Donovan is the Cork City Chairperson of the Vintners. He's got a Zoom meeting with his like-minded members at half past nine. And I'm going to get a call into him before that. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good. Was it inevitable? Were you expecting that? Had you been told in advance? Um, look, Neil, I suppose, look, uh, uh, the public health is the number one issue here. And look, the, the health of our staff, our customers and our families is the, is, the, is the major concern. But I suppose, look, we had heard all the media leaks uh, since last week on it. 
uh, we had, I suppose, been calling our local TDs, um, local ministers uh, to try and get updates on it. But um, look, when we heard the news last night at quarter to six, it, it was a disappointment, to be honest, to hear us because, look, um, um, 60% of our members have been, haven't uh, traded since the 15th of March. So, like, it, it was, a, I suppose, a hammer blow for some of them, especially the ones that depend on the summer months for their trade. And especially, look, uh, it's well known, look, the builders' holidays time traditionally are a big three weeks here in Ireland, say the last two weeks of July, the first week of August. Um, and now they're going to be closed for that entire period. So talking to some of our members, West Cork, East Cork, uh, last night, uh, the season is over for them, really. So their trading periods, um, when they get, you know, when we get to open on August the 10th, uh, most people will be departing their their holidays, maybe you know, the 18th to the 20th, because kids will be going back to school. Oh yes, of course, they'll be heading west and what have you. Yeah. 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 So like the uh, the season, like a lot of them have said, you know, what's the point now if we get to open on August the 10th? You know, and the following Tuesday, Wednesday, most people will be going back, coming back to. Uh, going back to their homes, so is it even worth opening for the week? So, like, I've uh, look, we all have a great fear now for these bars that have had no income since March, like no income this year, and we need to protect them and try and protect the jobs because uh, with sixty percent of the bars closed, it's it's well in excess of thirty thousand jobs now. And there's a fair number of them at risk uh, in the coming months. In in the sense that a fair number of them will just go bust, is it? Yes, well, look, Neil, uh, they've been closed their, like, the, the, the three months that they really depend on, um, you know, June, July and August to trade, to build up their revenue, to survive the winter. Those three months have been taken away now. So if they have no uh, cash reserve built up to survive uh, in these places, look, September, October, November, most of December, they get, like most of these bars only get maybe a week when people come home at Christmas uh, would be their, their winter trading and then to survive again January, February, March until they get to the Easter season of next year. So without a real help out from the government in the July stimulus next week. Um, and that's What would that be? Is that the grants you're looking for depending on size and turnover up to 50 grand? But no talk, like in the UK, they slashed VAT for hospitality. Yes, they did. And look, they in the UK, they, they, they took the food um, and accommodation uh, fat rate down to 5%. But what we're asking here in Ireland is to do something similar. But also, look, I suppose for our pub sector and the jobs, we need them to do the alcohol as well. Because at the moment, the alcohol is 23% and we need them to bring that down. I know. Do you think they will now, considering that you're, the, you're drinking in the last chance saloon yourselves? Yeah, well, look, Neil. If if they don't, they will cost jobs. We're 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 telling them this. They're, I think they're well aware of it now um, because they understand Ireland and the tourism. I'm going to be asking, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be asking this question a lot this morning from different people. But if uh, Michal Martin is saying uh, and has said more than once that house parties are a problem, right? Uh, and yes. like, for instance, the Independent this morning is saying that young people are to blame. You can blame the young people for pushing you back to August 10th. Then why are the pubs staying shut? when off-licenses uh, and off-sales in supermarkets remain open, fueling house parties? Yes, it's, look, Neil, it's, it's a very tough, for, for me as a publican and for all my colleagues, uh, publicans, it's a very hard pill to follow at the moment because, look, an off-license, big supermarkets, they have staff, they, they need a very little 
staff to, to run that off side of it where all of us we employ people here in all our communities uh, no, so but, it's, but it's pub, pubs aren't selling booze for house parties no, and gatherings yeah, we've been saying it for the last week that the house parties are a major issue that we're going on at the moment. So surely um, pubs could be deemed to be safer open than closed. Well, well, Neil, the pubs that have been open for the last two weeks, um, you know, especially staff have been checked every day. There's contact details taken for the people entering the pubs. And we are not aware of any cases that have come out of the pubs for the last two weeks. And we were emphasising that point to the, to the powers that be for the last two weeks and still they made this decision like as I said 60% of the pubs are closed they haven't been opened and now we've been punished again for mistakes of others and that's really really hard for us to take um, and for myself and, and my colleagues Okay so people travelling to various pubs that is happening isn't it and and I mean they are getting alcohol they are staying a lot longer than the 100 and what is 105 minutes so all, all, of, the, all of that's being flouted anyway you know Well Neil I suppose look the, the guidelines were set out by the HSA and the HSE, um, and in that they, they put in that the 105 minutes. People are doing numerous bookings on a night out, going from pub to pub, um, and look, it is within the guidelines, but that, they were the guidelines that were set out by the HSE. We questioned from the, the time those guidelines were were issued, the timings put into it, because we said this would happen. We flagged it from the, the, that Wednesday night when when, uh, when the guidelines were issued, that this would be an issue of people moving from pub to hub pub. Um, and like they still left it in there, and they're still, um, still in the guidelines, but, you know, I suppose the house parties and look Neil at present you can hop on a plane in Cork Airport go over to England spend a day or two there drinking come back I know it's self-isolate but like pubs in other countries are, are open um, and like we're sitting here now for another three weeks waiting which is really frustrating for, for our members Yes um, one of the newspapers actually columnists this morning is saying I don't know why we're getting in such a big heap over this because it's all about people who just want to go on the lash um, it's kind of unfair, isn't it, really? Because behind people wanting to go on the lash, even if that's true about certain sections, there are jobs, really, aren't there? There are, but Neil, also, look, my bar here in, in the city, my family bar, like Monday to Friday, we know most people that come in. Like, we have a lot of locals, and that's repeated in so many bars. And, like, the vast majority of the 60% of bars that are closed now are family bars. Um, and, like, they're... Like we'd know most of our customers on a first name basis. We'd know where they come from. We'd know their families, and like they come in for more a chat. Yes, they'll have two or three drinks, and they go off home. They, they spend but the problem. The problem is the bar. bigger pubs when people get drunk or have too much. They're hugging and they're kissing, they're shaking hands, and they're moving around tables. That's the worry the government have of close yes, contact. You see, it is. But Neil, the, the majority of the bigger or the bigger venues are open with the last two weeks because the majority of those bars are big into food. So the majority of the big are open bars anyway. are open for the last two weeks. Still there hasn't been a spot from the bar. Yes, but, yes, but it would change then, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have to be... Like, what would happen? Would you still have to make a booking? Would, would, when the pub's open, will you still have to limit the amount of people on the premises? <laughs> and Neil, if, if we knew that, we'd be very right. happy. We, we were asking for the, for the last two weeks from the Department of Health for the guidelines for the pubs to reopen on well, what would have been next Monday in Phase 4. As of this morning, Thursday morning, we're still waiting for those guidelines uh, to open. So, 
it's, it's very hard to answer that question, unfortunately, because I just don't know the answer to it because they, they, the department didn't give us the guidelines. You think they make it up as they go along? Absolutely, I think it is. I think they're they're um, uh, take waiting and seeing. And I suppose, look, it is a public health emergency. But like you would think at this stage, from other countries, we've been told that they've gathered the data, that they're watching what's happening in other countries, and um, like Spain, the bars reopened. England, the bars have re- reopened. England, the bars have reopened. Um, and like I think it's coming to a time now where, and um, you know. They, they've talked about it since April that if there is a second spike that they would have had regional lockdowns or specific lockdowns in areas um, or, you know, regress in those areas. Maybe it's time that the government stood up and did that because they talked a lot of it, but we haven't seen the action of it yet. So maybe it's time that they did consider doing that and leave other parts of the, the country get on with their business and get on with the, I suppose, life um, and, you know, people can socialise, interact and get out and about again. Okay, all right. So I'll let you get on with that call this morning. Are you anticipating what that will be about, the Vintners call? No, I suppose, look, we'll just be reviewing what's happened and, I suppose, setting out our strategy, I suppose, and looking at what we're going to do um, or, what, you know, what course of action we'll take uh, to see what, what we can do for the members going forward. Okay, let you get on with that. Thanks for taking the call for now. Much obliged to you, Michael. Take Thank care. You. All right, um, you too. Um, Benny McCabe uh, has put a lengthy uh, update on his uh, Facebook and Twitter pages. It's very long. I need to have a, a closer look at it because but I do see a paragraph on it saying, just to note that my colleagues and I will open the Crane Lane, Arthur Mains, the Bodega, the Rising Sun Brewery, the Vickerstown Inn, BDSM and Arthur Mains uh, Monday um, next Thursday. We look forward to working well again next week. More details over the weekend, he's saying. The Chenet, the Mutton, the Oval, the Poor Relation and El Phoenix will join them on August the 10th. Um, is that because the Crane Lane, Arthur Mains, Bodega, Rising Sun, Vickerstown, BDSM, Arthur Mains will do food from um, next Thursday. Maybe I'll get some clarification off him. It's not 100% clear to me. But I will come back to it. Let me go to another publican. Liam Barry has some bower on, uh, on Oliver Lunker Street and uh, also Goldberg's. Liam, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? What is that with Benny? Are you aware of what he's doing? Uh, I am. Um, I, read, I read his post actually last night and in fairness, he's, he's, um, he's fantastic with words as Benny when it comes to you know, pointing out what's right and wrong, but um, you know he needs to get back to work, like like the rest of us. Neil, I mean, he has a lot of outgoings. We we have three um, outlets. He has eleven or twelve. You know but what will, I mean? But you, will he when he opens all of those next week? Will they do food? Is it? They'll have to. All yeah, right, fair enough. Okay. The rules, yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Uh, as to what offering they'll do, now that's a matter for him. Okay, you're disappointed. Yeah. Are we expecting this news yesterday? Particularly, say, for instance, with regards to the Bowron small yeah, pub. Suppose, um, no. I'm about as I, I, I'm about as cross as I can be. I mean, I, I'm not. Let's be clear here. I, like, I, I'm not overly, you know, disappointed that pubs are now being told to stay closed on August 10th. But I'm more concerned about the other behaviours that are allowed go on. Um, while the focus is on the pubs. Do you know what I mean? What, like, kind, I, of I, I, what kind of behaviour? Look, you, the stories are abound. I have photographs. I have uh, texts sent to me by friends who are in certain pubs about other guidelines not being adhered to. We have the airports and ports open. I got a phone call from a buddy of mine yesterday, or two days ago, who was down in Crosshaven, and the, the harbour down there full of British registered yachts, um, and these people coming and going as if uh, nothing. We're hearing stories in the media about Americans all up and down the east coast of, or the west coast of Ireland. 
um, you know, and, 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 and closer to home. I, I, I took a chance to walk in the pennies the other day. And all I'm seeing is you ones in there fighting ogres, false eyelashes, no, breathing, coughing on each other. No, no, nothing seems to be in order. Uh, and yes, the pubs, uh, you know, there was a funny thing with Facebook a couple of, of weeks back that, you know, crowded beaches aren't a problem, crowded supermarkets aren't a problem. But if you go into a pub, you're going to get COVID and die. You know? Um, and the whole 105 minutes that, uh, you know, yeah, like, well, why you even know, have a limit at all if you're controlling the numbers? Well, that's it. A lot of them are doing it right, but some of them are doing it wrong. You know, I, 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 I suppose I, I do find it a bit problematic as well that there are a lot of pubs out there now that are selling food that never sold food prior to it, that are able to avail of takeaway services from, from other places. I applaud their enthusiasm and I, and I wish them all well. Um, but I just, you know, should I do that? Should I do a deal with John Grace or, or payment down in Ifedrino and have snack boxes and pizzas delivered into me to allow me to open? I mean, that's not my... Well, not just, just that, but thing. insisting that your customers buy them then. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's, it's a prerequisite, you know. You're, 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 like, you know, I was just about to mention there, you're, you're given a menu when you go into one a pub. A pub my father goes to, um, he can go in, menu put up in front of him, have a couple of jars, walk out with no... With, with no um, food taken, you know. I so he do doesn't even have to buy it, he's just given a menu for no particular yeah. reason. Yeah, and I do have a problem with pubs that are flaunting it. Most 99% of the pubs are, 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 are sticking to the rules and you know, like it, it nearly have to look as well, when the figures came out about these uh, the spikes they're, they're focusing on two areas, young people and travel, okay. First of all, young people, I don't know if you're aware, don't really go to pubs anymore. The 18 to 25s most of these people have now adapted to drinking at houses, and it, and this was long prior to COVID. You know, when I started working in the pub trade years ago, it was all those type of people used to frequent city centre bars and the older people. But why? The but suburbs. why then? Because every off license and off sales at the, at the aisles in the supermarkets, they all all have to have a liquor license, don't they? Yes. yes so why, yes, if yes. the problem is young people or house parties, haven't they shut the off licenses and the off sales? Uh, well, they've, they haven't shut off sales. I mean, off, off license trade is up um, month on month, twenty eight percent on on the average year. Benny made a point last night that uh, statistics he looked at were, were that alcoholism is is going to be a major problem here going forward, as, as if it already wasn't. Uh, um, things like domestic violence is going to go through the roof because of restrictions and frustrations. It has already, even unfortunately, already, yeah. child sexual abuse has increased as well. It's very yeah, sad. Yeah. Well. It, and that's that's just I mean, you can't even talk about that those to- topics. You know what I mean? I, you know, it, it's just it's just so abnormal. But again, we're back to the whole notion then of well, you know what? Let's keep the pubs closed. Everything will will raise itself. In okay, so you say the airport support should be shut. All pubs oh, who really? lied that you say you're saying all pubs who lied their way into being o- allowed to reopen as restaurants should be ordered to cease. Talk to me about that. Oh, what I, do you mean, I, lied their yeah. way? Well, because there's a lot of places out there would have, uh, you know, um, presented themselves in a position whereby they feel that they can adhere to the guidelines, but they are currently not. I know of at least five premises. That obviously, I'm not going to not going to become an outcast in my own industry and start naming names. But there's a fact of uh, 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 it's a fact of life out there that rules are being flaunted. Um, I'm not saying that those uh, flaunting of those rules is what has led to the to the. Um, 
to the rise in numbers, but you have publicans like us who are quite willing to, to, to stick and adhere to uh, guidelines, which, by the way, we still haven't got, as Michael just mentioned there. We, you know, we knew that anyway. You know, so it, the- we knew this yesterday morning. I, we, we were contacted by um, RT. They came over to Goldbergs actually yesterday and filmed a little piece, and it was lovely on the news last night, and it was all great. But in actual fact, we knew prior to that. You know, we had got a hint coming down and like, you know, sitting there anxiously waiting for the news last night. But we knew, we knew we, we were given a date of August 4th. Now it's August 10th. Um, you know, so the, so you, you also talk about those that are, I mean, just interested in the flaunting aspect of it, because I yeah. hear all of these stories. No wonder they fake yeah. news where some pubs are giving fake receipts uh, that people are, yeah. are to hold on to. Others have menus, you say, where people have, don't have to order food. And then you say a well-known city centre pub had live music last Saturday yeah. night. Yeah, yeah. There was a band setting up with a buddy of mine was leaving at half a state. Uh, again, I'm not going in, going, going, going into that. And is that bad? Is that a ba- is that bad news you're saying for well, live music? Look, I mean, there's no, nothing against it. There's no, there's no rule. Like people, people got it into their heads that you know seats at bar counters and live music was a no-no. They were offers put forward by the Vintners Federation in order to say, look, we're taking this seriously. What do you think of this? It never came out as a guideline. Um, but uh, live music um, encourages one thing: it encourages dancing. Now, the whole point behind this new bar restaurant scenario is that people come in, they sit down, they have a meal, they have three or four drinks, they leave after an hour and five minutes and the next crowd come in. It's not supposed to be a bar setting, it's not supposed to be an encouragement to, you know, get up and dance. It's a place to eat. Yes, yeah, yeah. And there are pubs out there that just haven't I suppose adapted to that model. Maybe they're desperate, maybe they're desperate to stay in business. Pardon? Maybe it's desperation for them to, to do anything Absolutely. they can to stay in business. Absolutely, but there's a, there's a national kind of a, a, a situation here as well. You know, I know, I know we all need to look after ourselves, you know, nurse our own you know, financial situations. But Jesus, if, if, if we're going to allow certain behaviours go on, aside from that, you know, the house parties, uh, uh, ports and airports open, like, we're, we're not going anywhere. Dr. Tony Holan, and I mentioned this last night in my in my thing I put up on Facebook, a lovely man took a lot of criticism because people thought, oh, doctors running the country. But the man was right. And, you know, he quit a couple of weeks back, sadly, to look after his very sick wife. But I'd say his decision was made all the easier, Neil, by the fact that we're just not listening to him. You know, I mean... The, but the, if we were listening, if he was still here, he'd be saying, keep the pubs closed. What? Well, he probably would, but he'd also be saying, keep the airports closed, keep yeah, the ports yeah, closed, yeah. crack down on house parties. You know, there was footage there, the guards put up footage last week of a hundred, over 100 people coming out of the terrace house, small little house scene down in, in Bandon at a house party. And this, in the middle of the day, by the way, they're skipping away, coming out the door. And, and yet the pubs are getting the blame for that. But young people like that, they, they don't go to sit down in restaurants. They're, they're not pub goers, certainly not to my pubs. Our, you know, our pubs are, are, are deal with an, an older age demographic, which suits me fine. Um, but, you know, until until there's a level playing field and, and until everybody is treated the same, I, I just, yeah, I do, I am cross. I am a little bit cross. Um, you know, aside from that then, we've been waiting on guidelines that we knew weren't coming. We knew this. I mean, who the hell would keep you waiting until five days before you open to give you guidelines as to how to reopen? So would pubs have bought you know? in stock this week then? Would that be perishable? I took in a mountain of stock. I took in about 20 grand's worth of stock this week in kegs and, and all the rest of it. No, it's all long-dated stock. They're all good for three or four months. I've no problem holding on to it. The breweries have been fantastic. They came out immediately last night and said, no, we won't be um, sticking a direct debit on your account for this until you're back in, in business. But there's a bigger... Uh, that's only a very minor issue when it comes to the economic 
Like, me own Martin two days ago put a video out on Facebook marvelling on about this July stimulus package that they're developing. We need to hear what it is. The VAT thing, you know, it's, it's, that's a temporary solution. Um, but, you know, the restart grants haven't been paid yet to a lot of people. Most uh, publicans that I know haven't received it, although they have been granted it, that it has been approved. Um, there are, 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 you know, the, the revenue warehousing of, of 2020 debt that you would have had uh, outstanding tax liabilities prior to going into lockdown. Yeah. We've been told, oh, there's a blanket uh, warehousing of that, because, but there's no detail. They still haven't come out and told us yeah. to what extent they're going to allow us to do it. Uh, the, the wage subsidy, there's word coming out now that the wage subsidy, although it's going to be extended to the end of the year, will drop in percentage down to maybe 50 or 40 percent. It's all a help. But Jesus, tell us. Come out and let us know straight up. This is what we're doing. This is when it's going to kick in. You know, um, I guess that it's a new government. But Michal Martin spent weeks prior to becoming Taoiseach going on about restarting the economy. Um, and a lot of what's going on is going on behind closed doors, which you just keep us informed. Daily updates as to, you know, endeavours that have been made um, to try to to help us. Okay. You know, this, by the way, like, this is a, a countrywide issue. It's a worldwide issue. I'm only concerned with my little corner in terms of the industry I'm in. I can only speak for the pub industry. But there are other people out there um, that, that are, 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 are equally in the same boat we are. Like, don't ever forget something. We've heard about the, the whole country has gone back to work. Uh, and as it appears so, it's if you walk through the city, the place is packed. But there are still 400,000 people on the pandemic payment. Mm. That's, that's, only, that's only down 180,000 to what it was at its worst in April. Mm. You know, we're not back. By any means, we're not back. There are, there are office blocks. Uh, I, I met two girls yesterday who work in Clearstream, which is in... Um, one navigation square and they popped up to Goldbergs while we were there we're doing a lot of work over there at the moment to get the place uh, ready you know, just a few improvements so that when people walk in they'll say oh that's new yeah. um, and and uh, the two guys said geez when he open for lunch and we said look as soon as the office buildings are you know as soon as it is worthwhile we're, we're going to get there and there's 500 people working Clearstream and there's 118 of them currently back in the rack I know. I so know. that's a little under a quarter mm. uh, a lot of people are still working from home is that the new norm? possibly it is but there, there needs to be some sort of an indication from government as to what help, uh, you know, aids are going to be there uh, to, 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 to help us after we, after we get open. I tell you, funny when I, I spoke to, traditionally, as you know, having been in the trade yourself, there's very little sympathy out there for publicans, OK? And I was, I was talking to Con Dennehy yesterday and he said a very funny thing. He said he has always uh, remarked that uh, in the social um, arena as such, uh, publicans are viewed somewhere between pedophiles and cockroaches. You know what I mean? In the, in, the, in the greater importance of things. We're always the first to be blamed. I get that. We provide a service that, you know, it's a licensed service. Alcohol sales. Jesus, it's fraught with danger and all the rest of it. But, but we are responsible people. We know what we're doing. We've done, I've been the pub trade for 23 years running my own pubs. Um, Can't you know, all be responsible if you're saying some of them well, are floating yes, the rules already. Yes, fair point. Do you know what? You're 100%. That's exactly a fair point. But I speak for myself. If I was given the opportunity to open the bar on Monday, I would do it in a correct manner, uh, in, in, in the manner in which I've been told. All right. I, just, I think okay. that people aren't being given that opportunity. Okay, appreciate it. I'm going to keep moving. Thanks for taking no, the call, Liam. I feel your pain. Thank you. Um, just with regards to the COVID uh, updates on that, if you go back to the 9th of July, say, for instance, there were six deaths and 23 cases. The 10th, one death and 25 cases. The 11th, two deaths and 23 cases. Uh, the 12th, zero deaths and a drop to 17 cases. The 13th of July, zero deaths and 11 cases, a further drop. And then a bounce. 
the 14th of July, zero deaths and 32 positive cases. And then another drop again yesterday, two deaths, unfortunately, and 14 cases. So it's a bit all over the place. Now, whether that's the tip of the iceberg of what's to come, I do not know. But this is what, um, your calls are welcome on this, lads, actually, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. This is what the teacher got to say yesterday. My government and I have received advice from the National Public Health Emergency Team. The concern about the rise in the number of cases over recent weeks is very real. The R number, which we have all become familiar with, has now risen above one in this country. And the international situation, with almost a million and a half cases reported in just the last week, represents a growing worry. Taking these factors into consideration, today the Cabinet agreed that the current public health measures should remain in place until the 10th of August. We have agreed that the country will now not be progressing to phase four of the revised roadmap for reopening society and business. That's what he had to say. Benny McCabe then was making some other interesting points. He said that if you look at this in 12 months' time, say under freedom of information requests, it will show that drink driving spiked in many counties during the period of the pubs have been closed. He says it will show in 12 months' time that uh, alcohol related to A&D admissions will have risen considerably during the times the pubs were shut. There's no limits on what you can drink at home or a house party. He says that it will show a heinous rise in domestic abuse. And he also says that it will show that the placements for addiction, in particular alcohol and facilities during the period the pubs were closed will be like a mini emergency in in itself. So he's going to see spikes in all of those different areas. Uh, but again, it has uh, a lot to do, of course, with the R rate, which is up to somewhere between 1.3 and 1.8. Like if it goes to two, it means for every one person that has uh, COVID-19, they will infect two people and those two will infect four and those four will infect eight and 16 and so so on and so forth. That's the that's how the R rate works. And um, back to the phone lines we go. Derek, good morning. Hello. Thank you for holding. Uh, this is an experience in Kinsale, is it? Yeah, um, I just thought maybe it's um, a thing in the loophole, you know, the way the pubs aren't allowed open now again. Um, I was just sitting down having, a, having dinner and... Uh, 16 lads from Dublin arrived obviously down from upstairs or whatever this was a hotel and um, the the girl asked them um, you know to to sit down in the kitchen area and handing them a menu and they said oh no we're residents and she just you know put them all into the smoking area and served them drink but you would like the drink was flowing I I was there nearly an hour now and they were going in and out with with tables um, All right, sixteen buddies, like sixteen yeah, pals. Yeah, yeah. Um, forgive me, but if you're a resident in a hotel, does that mean you get a special pass for drink? Well, that's what I understood from it. I did. I didn't ask the question, but you know, it is. It, uh, I think it, hotels you have also the bars closed, and you have to have a meal like everybody else, even if you're staying in the hotel. So that's flouting. Right. I think that's flouting okay. the the guidelines, okay. isn't it? <laughs> No, they, they were. I thought the, I would. I thought the staff were very kind of vigilant there. No, in fairness, because some of them were trying to order from the actual bar counter, and they were stopping them from that. So, um, you know, it did. But they they didn't have to eat anyway. The minute he said, "Look, we're residents," um, she said, "Okay, that was it." Just drink, no food. Yeah, that's what I witnessed anyway. You know, so 
that's not that's not in the guidelines. It doesn't matter who you okay. are. If the Pope if the Pope came in or the Taoiseach or Donald Trump or whomever, okay. they'd have to order yeah. food, whether they were sleeping okay. in a bed upstairs or not. That's okay. a shame. That's a shame. Anyway, thanks, Derek. Appreciate it. Anthony, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. So, um, has it ruffled any feathers of yours? Um, I really think the whole thing has just become ridiculous. And it's the government's usual plan. And I hate this expression. And if I hear it once more, it makes my stomach turn the new normal. I've stopped I using really, it. If there's any consolation, I've stopped using it. I just really hate that expression. You know, I mean, I have neighbours on the street here and they're Chinese and they've been here and they've been studying UCC and they've been here two, three years and they are getting the height of abuse. And it really, really and truly isn't fair. And just because someone is Chinese or just someone has an American accent or an English accent doesn't mean that they just only arrived last week. They could be living here for 15, 20 years. So they're getting abuse because people think they're tourists, is it? Yes. Or they're they're getting abuse because they're Chinese and people blame China, which? Both. And I, I really think it's wrong and it's the government's typical policy. If you want a new normal now, the new normal to me is any fool, well, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but any fool that's going to vote in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael into government again, so they just got in, man. They just got in. Like, we're talking about a pandemic here. We're talking about they're saying numbers rising. The pubs were the first to close and the last to open because pubs are mood-altering substances. Yeah, but, Neil, what about all the house parties? It, happen- it oh, still happens. I understand that. That's bizarre. Yeah, off-license. It's still happening. Yeah. I'd still up around you, yeah? Yeah. Saturday night... Three o'clock in the morning, it was about 20, I'd say at least, went up the street. To be fair to the guards, the guards have better things to be doing than that now, to be quite honest. But the guards had to come out. And the next thing, they all scurried off like rats off a sinking ship. And the guards were gone. And... Within half an hour, they were all back again. I know, I know. House parties continue I mean, to be a just, problem. Yeah, and you know, it's 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 just a disrespect for the older people and for the elderly people. I I I don't like calling people elderly people, but the older people, you know, that helped it, that built the country and did everything that they could. I just, I, I find it disgusting, the disrespect that they have, but it's breaking out amongst them now, the tweenies, as they call them. You say, yet again, off-license and pubs are be blamed for everything. Grown adults over 18 continue to be exempt from the law. What do you mean by that? They are exempt from the law. You mean when there's house parties and the guards are called and they're just allowed to, to leg it? 
Yeah, and the cards had to come back a second time mm-hmm. on Saturday night at three o'clock in the morning. <coughs> House parties, big problem. Okay, well, three a.m. So- Sunday morning, I should say. But I mean, and me, Hall Martin. Like I mean, I have friends from up the, all over the country. And they said, oh, you must be so proud of the Taoiseach. I said, I'm not proud of the Taoiseach at all. I'm not affiliated to any party. I'm not attacking Michal Martin personally or Leo Varadkar personally. But what's your problem? What's your problem with them? I don't believe they're capable of the job. Well, time will tell. Let 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 me talk to Noel. Thanks, Anthony. Noel, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Right. Thanks for holding. Uh, I think you're actually making the point as well. The pubs were the first to close and will be the last to open. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the first observation I want to make is yesterday on watching the press conference, one of the journalists asked the chief medical officer on what scientific theory or basis did they work out that it's safer to have a pint with a pizza than have a pint on its own. And his reply was a waffle one where he said, ah, well, Pubs have now been told that are serving food they have to behave as restaurants. Like, so there is no scientific formula. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, well, yeah, there is in the sense that you have to have food, right? Um, that yeah, you have but that, to... that, that doesn't, uh, because you're having food, doesn't make you immune from COVID-19, you know? No, but you're not moving around. You're sitting at a table. You have food. You have X amount of time, 105 minutes, and you must yeah, leave. If you're drinking a pint, you're not, you know, you're not surfing around the bar with it in your hand either, you know? But other but people anyway, then are going from pub to pub, I know that. That's absolutely happening. Yeah, that is happening. They're having a starter in one pub and having a main course in another. And, and they're having, having a dessert, dessert in yeah. In fact, I know of a bunch who were in a, recently moved to another pub for dessert and uh, all of the desserts in the pub had been sold. <laughs> Did you ever see that happening before? <laughs> there were no desserts at all. Yeah, but my my point then was my other point was that if they open them all at the same time, the pubs that serve food and pubs that don't serve food, it would make social distancing so much more controllable because you have now dispersed the numbers. I mean, there's guys going to restaurants that don't want food, but they're going for pints. Yeah, let's be honest. So if you open them all together, then you know, you're overcrowding. This this scenes in Dublin where there were piled out in streets of you know, rows of pubs and they're all out mixing together. I mean, that that eliminates that one. You know, whereas now we're we're we now have the case where we have our airports open and our our ports open, and our eating houses are full of tourists that have come from COVID nineteen hotspots from around the world. Amongst so us, how yeah, does that make it they're amongst us. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate it. Thanks for holding. Back after the break. More calls on the way. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And by text, John says, what an absolutely ridiculous decision. It's the house parties having 150 people in an unpoliced environment that should be sorted out rather than the family business pub with 15 locals in a pub that is policed by its owner. Audrey, I was out for lunch last week and a 19 or 20 year old girl went to the toilet, went straight out the door without washing her hands or sanitizing. Keeping the pub shut won't stop the spread of the virus when there's still idiots like that out there. And, and this is interesting because she says, judging by the young ones today, I wouldn't like to think where that girl's hands were. That's a text from another woman. Vincent says the government asked people to stay at home and holiday in Ireland and they go off and reward them by going back on their words to open the pubs. That's because the R rate has gone up above one. I mean, it was down, way down, like 0.3 at one stage. It's 
somewhere between around one and a half now. Anyway, he says, people on holidays in Ireland can't even go for a drink on their own holidays here now. Then people can go on foreign holidays, enjoy drinking and socialising, and then return to Ireland and bring the virus back with them. But it's okay by our government to do that. They look after outsiders, as in tourists coming into Ireland, and they destroy their own people. What about people that were hoping to return to work in the service industries? They'll probably have another month living on the breadline now, but all of these so-called advisors and professors still get their big pay packets rant over. You might be interested to know that with the incoming government and all of the different parties involved in it, they are employing more advisors now than they ever did before. And just one quick one then. Tony says, I'd love nothing more than go for a few pints. But with the case numbers going up again, they had no choice but to make this decision. However, they should really go hard on people that have house parties and stop people coming in from other countries that have high numbers of infections. Do that straight away. Yeah, and then maybe people might find it slightly more palatable. But right now, it just seems like inequitable. We have people coming into the country and nothing with regards to house parties. And that's why they're saying, although I don't agree with it because I think it's wrong to generalize, young people get the blame as pubs are told to stay closed. It's always banging away at the youth. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. Ah, yes, indeed. More text coming in with uh, regards to me allegedly towing the party line, going with the COVID-19 narrative. Listen, I mean, everyone and anyone is welcome to come on and give their opinion and send in a text. I'll read them all out. I want to hear all views, all dissenting views from all sides. I'm bothered by uh, people who agree or disagree with me, but I'm far from the far from the government narrative or far from that. I can't understand why, you know, house parties would be the problem because it seems as if the increase, whatever increase there is, it fluctuates daily is under 25s and then people say that under 25s don't drink in pubs so what would be the harm with the responsible reopening of bars? I mean why are off licenses open and off sales and supermarkets and things like that for house gatherings and big parties and under 25s and carry on up and the College Road and areas like that. Anyway, a lot of rural pubs are small. They don't have huge amounts of customers. Uh, and then per pubs serving food, that's being abused as well with people booking into numerous pubs. I mean, a starter in one and a main course another and then third would be a visit to a pub for a dessert and copious amounts of, of drink and what have you. So I don't know how any of that has anything to do with uh, towing the government line. Uh, by text then, Melanie says, this is ridiculous. Local pubs will end up shutting down and Ireland will be in for a big recession we're there already, girl. Not because of the people, but because of the government. This is a virus. It'll be here for some years at least. But we can't stay indoors 24-7 and have no life. We have to move on and just take care of ourselves. Wear masks where necessary. Constantly wash your hands. It's time to open Ireland back up and give people back their lives 100%. It's sad for the people who have died, and I feel awful for them. But I also don't believe everything the government is telling me because of how many times they change the rules as we go along uh, on what we need and what we don't need. There are people dying every day from cancer, domestic violence, disease, crashes. Uh, There's depression and loneliness. We have to learn how to deal with it together, take care of ourselves before it ends up being the famine all over again. There are reams of text. I'll come back to them. Can I just mention one thing? Do you know how earlier in the week we were talking, or at least I was saying, like it's it's so insignificant now and I never met anybody personally that ever tested positive and then I said in the middle of at the beginning of the week I said oh but finally did meet somebody who was really shook and hit very badly with COVID-19 and following those comments I had a conversation yesterday with a gentleman off air that I will play for you this morning and it will sh- send shivers up your spine uh, what happened to him 
when he contracted COVID-19 and when his mother contracted it. So I'll play that a little later on this morning and it will really make you sit up and show you how sad and devastating it can be when it visits you and your family and your home. Okay, uh, pubs got what they deserved. The publicans and their customers showed no respect whatsoever towards the frontline workers when this pandemic was taking hold of the country. Indeed, they mocked it, nor was there much respect when the pubs restaurants opened two weeks ago. No point in crying over spilled milk, or should I say spilled pints. People need to cop on. Also, what's being done about the pop-up pubs being opened around the Mid-Cork area. Crowds are flocking to them too, says Jim. That's an interesting point because the Vintners this morning were also talking about um, the manifestation of many she-beans around uh, Ireland in rural areas in particular. And many people put in their own pubs as well in their own back gardens. So I'm not 100% clear as to where we're at with uh, hotels serving alcohol, but I got a text in from the broadcaster and author Gareth O'Callaghan, who now lives on Leaside. And I'm honoured to say, listeners to this program from time to time, he joins me by phone. Gareth, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good to talk to you. Um, do you have clarification? Because somebody was saying 16 guys came down from from Dublin and were being served alcohol in a, I think it was a Kinsale pub, without having to order food. I, I've, no, I've no idea about the pub, but I do I do know that uh, there are a lot of pubs not bothering to sell food, but they're selling alcohol. And uh, I, I also am aware of the fact that uh, fake receipts are being handed out in the events that uh, the Gardaí step in and what the Gardaí are doing now is that they're arriving plain clothes so you have no idea um, in fact some of the Gardaí are actually ringing ahead to see if they can book a table um, and then they're following us up by dropping into the pub later to see if the availability that they were told wasn't there is actually there so they're, they're cleverly carrying out their investigations but I know I, I do know that there are a lot of pubs and I mean a huge number of pubs that um, are not selling food but are, are selling copious amounts of alcohol. How do you know that? You're talking about nationally now, you are? Yeah, nationally, yeah. I, I know friends of mine uh, in Dublin who have visited pubs and have basically said, is it okay if we leave it for a while and, and order food a little later? And they've been told, yes, it is. And uh, that that seems to be the premise in a lot of places where the staff then don't bother coming back. They'll come back and remind them. They'll say, well, you let us know when you want to order food. But they just continue to drink and uh, pay as they're drinking uh, and then leave when they're finished drinking. And the 105 minutes, that's out the, w- that's out the window as well, is it? Oh, that's gone, yeah. That's, that's, that doesn't exist. I, I think it probably exists in busy pubs that do a very, very lively turnover trade in food. But in, in, in the, the, the pubs that are trying to combine something they've never done before, which is serving food and also serving alcohol, uh, a lot of them are still relying on mostly alcohol sales. And uh, how, how can they be? They can't be caught, can they? Like if, if a guard comes in or something like that, they can say, oh, we're just here. We're just about to order, is it? That's yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, 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 I suppose realistically, if, if 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 you want to be really savvy, there are ways around it. I mean, you you can sit there and you can, uh, you, you know, if two plainclothes guards come in and they say, "Can we see your receipts for food?" All they have to say is, "Well, we haven't actually ordered any food yet." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, obviously, if the guards come back an hour later, an hour and a half later and find that you haven't ordered food, well then, yes, you are in trouble. Are you of the opinion that pubs should have been allowed to open on Monday then? Yes, they should. The pubs should have been allowed to open on Monday uh, for the simple reason that 
if you open all of the pubs together, what will happen is that people locally will will move back to their local pub. Um, in other words, if you open, I don't know how many pubs there are in. I, I live I live in Douglas, so we would be looking at probably about ten to fifteen pubs. Uh, well, you when you take in Douglas, Black Rock, Turners Cross, and areas like that, you yeah, would, that's yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Okay. So what what will happen then is that you're not going to get people pub crawling through the fifteen pubs. People will just gravitate back towards their local. So it's up to the it's up to the local licenser or to the, the local publican to organise the social distancing and you know the rules that are, that are being laid down. But isn't it going to be harder for smaller pubs to do that? I mean the bigger pubs are open because they're able to bring in food or cook food or whatever, but the smaller ones that are tighter, that's where you could have high numbers of infections. I think the smaller pubs in rural areas are never that busy anyway. So I mean you're going to get familiar faces there all the time. You very rarely get passing trade, you very rarely get newcomers. I do agree with you in relation to pubs in the city centre that are that are small and are strictly driven uh, by alcohol sales. Um, basically, a packet of crisps and a packet of peanuts is all they serve. Mm. Um, they will have a problem. But I think the bigger pubs, and I'm talking the likes of some of the pubs that are already open in this South Cork area that are serving food but if you allow the other pubs that don't normally serve food to open as well I don't see you having a problem particularly the bigger pubs and then of course I'm interested in your thoughts on because this is an area of your life as a broadcaster for many years working with different generations of listeners we seem to have more and more now young people not drinking in pubs maybe that's price related I don't know probably an aspect of it but house parties and big gatherings and they're being blamed now for this delay what are your thoughts on that well I think there, were, there always were house parties I remember going to house parties when I was um, I mean I, I actually didn't start drinking until I was 22 um, but I remember in my 30s uh, and, and also 40s where you would be invited to house parties whether they were christenings or whether they were just birthday parties or anniversaries and there would be very large crowds of people in in the house but under the current circumstances with this pandemic the, the reason people are congregating in houses and, and back gardens is because you can buy alcohol particularly in supermarket off licenses at a fifth of the price you can buy in a pub take for example two pints of cider in a, 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 a well-to-do city pub will probably cost you the guts of six euro each uh, maybe even more uh, that would be the large bottle of cider uh, could cost six six twenty. But for two of those together combined, you can buy yourself a litre of vodka in one of the supermarket of licenses. So there's there's a there's a kind of a no brainer there. That's why they're that's why they're, they're opting for house parties and and back garden gatherings because they save fortune. But then why then would Michal Martin say that house parties and gatherings of young people in huge numbers are a big problem? The positive spike is on under 25s, but yet he does nothing then about off licenses or off sales in supermarkets. Well, because the, the reason that I, I think most people who buy in off licenses, certainly prior to the pandemic, were people who enjoy doing their shopping, bringing home a couple of bottles of wine at the weekend, bringing home uh, a couple of bottles or a, a few cans of, of lager or, or stout. And, and, and that, that was traditionally the supermarket off-license uh, draw. 
but now um, it, it, it's attracting a much younger group of people. And I, I've noticed it in a couple of off-licenses and I've noticed it in a couple of the local supermarkets as well where people are stacking up. And I mean like filling trolleys with slabs of beer and with cheap vodka and cheap gin and cheap wine. So I, I see, I, I think to ban off-licenses in supermarkets is it's going to take away, first of all, from the trade of the supermarket because people tend to buy their food and they buy their booze at the same time. Okay, but and let's respect those people that buy in limited numbers and drink responsibly. Mm. But for, say, an off-license um, who, is, who is literally providing huge amounts of cheap alcohol for a younger generation to go on a house party, sure, that makes no sense just looking at the off-licenses alone. Leave the supermarkets alone if you're suggesting to do that. But why would, you, why would you be saying, oh, listen, it's young people, it's a problem, it's huge big numbers. So you cut off, cut off their supply. So, well, okay, well, let's look at it this way. If you introduce prohibition, which is what that would be, um, the, the, the people who want to buy the booze will simply get into vans and cars and drive north. And they will go to the likes of Aldi and the Sainsbury's and Tesco in the north. And they only have to go to Newry. They only have to go to, to, uh, to, to Enniskillen. And they can stock up to that content. And I think also what will happen is that you will then, see, by, by shutting off the off-lice route, you are then encouraging the Shubines. You're then encouraging the likes of people who will sell booze out of the backs of vans. So you, you'll never cure the issue that way. I think the way you cure the issue is you open all the pubs. Every single pub should be opened next Monday, bar none. And it's up to each individual to say, right, I'm aware that if I go in here and it's packed, there's a very strong possibility that at least one or two people in here is possibly infected. Mm. So I'm running the risk of infecting myself and bringing this virus back home. But I do think by opening all of the pubs, people will behave responsibly. It, to a degree, no, no, I, I don't mean all of the people, but all most people want is to have their own local back open so that they can go in with a newspaper, maybe place a bet, have a few pints and go home. Mm. Um, and I, I think the pub scene is, is going to change. I think it has changed completely. I think the future of the Irish pub will be unrecognisable. First of all, I don't think a lot of people will go back to the pub because they're worried of contracting this virus. Mm. And it is very easy to contract no matter what people tell you. Like, um, it, it, I, I, I do think pubs are going to see reduced numbers when, when they do eventually open, mm. if they can open. And I really hope they do. Yeah, I think that, I'll be coming back to this a little, little later on, but certainly in the, in the UK, there's evidence to suggest that people are slow still to go back to pubs and slow yeah. to even book restaurant tables. But can I just ask you personally, cause, cause you sound in great form and from listening to you sound, you sound, sound quite energetic, but how have you coped over the past few months, particularly with your multiple system atrophy? How's that been for you? Have you been cocooning? Uh, yeah, we have, yeah, mostly. Um, I think uh, what we do is um, I, I, I do my shopping very early in the morning. <clears throat> um, we nip down to the super value in Grange and we would be there at, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, 8 o'clock at the latest. So we're gone again by 20 past 8. Um, and I, I, if, if we want to get out for a walk, we'll go to Garrett's Town 
or we might get to Kinsale for a short walk very, very early in the morning or once again late in the evening. Um, it, it's difficult because I'm very conscious of the fact now that people are, more and more people are wearing masks, which is heartening because more and more people are becoming aware of the practicalities of wearing a mask. Um, I, I actually have to put my hand up and say I haven't worn a mask yet, but that's because I have breathing issues. Yes, yes. So I'm, I'm trying to weigh one up against the other. Now I'm, I'm starting to wear a mask this week, but I've, I've been, I've been okay, Neil. I mean, it's, it's been, it's been a very, very tough year. Um, the progress of this illness has been um, d- difficult. It's, it's been relentless. I'm, I'm trying different alternative uh, therapies and that. Mm. Some of them are helping, some of them are not. Some days I, I kind of think that's, yeah, I have a I have a handle on this thing. Other days I, I can barely get out of bed. It's mm. just so painful. And, and But no, I, I take it a day at a time. Uh, how's your headspace yeah. then? Some days it's marvellous. Some days it's, it's some days my headspace is as big as Garrettstown Beach. Other days um, I think I'm actually going mad. You know, other days I, I really do. And somebody said to me in, in the supermarket the other the other day, I, I just said, "How are you during this?" And it, it, she said to me, "She said I think I'm going insane." And and uh, you know, she's she's actually working as a frontline worker. And she said, I, I think if this thing just doesn't stop soon, you know, w- 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 people are really going to begin to kind of lose it. Mm. Uh, and I can understand exactly what she means, because we're listening to so many different opinions from so many different experts. Um, one thing I remind myself all the time, and while, you know, I, I respect their judgment and their hard work. Politicians are not experts. Politicians are not doctors. They're not psychiatrists. They're not teachers. Well, it's obviously one or two of them are teachers, but not currently. But we need to be listening to the experts. We don't need to be listening to... I think listening to specific government ministers who are taking on pages and pages of information from government assistants and from spin doctors, that's not the way forward. Yeah, but um, it kind of shoots your argument below the waterline because it's the medics have told the government not to open the pubs. That's true. I, 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 yes, and that, the, see, I, I can understand where they're coming from. They're coming from a medical perspective. That if this thing goes through the roof, our health system collapses. It's on the verge of collapsing anyway. But, but what will happen if this thing goes through the roof, we're looking at people dying at home without any medical support whatsoever. Um, and that will be truly, truly shocking. But what I think we need to possibly do in order to quell the whole alcohol issue, uh, it would be great if, if the, 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 the emergency medical team were to come out and say, right, we'll do this for two weeks. We'll open the pubs for two weeks, and if in two weeks' time we find that the numbers have gone above two to two and a half, we close everything again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that's the only that's the only way. I think it's it's kind of meeting at fifty fifty. Um, and and in relation, by the way, to the hotels as well, I heard you talking about this earlier. It, you don't have to eat once you're a resident in a hotel. Are you sure of that, Gareth? I'm absolutely certain. You can book in, and like like yourself. I mean, I've travelled like all over the country down through the years when I was working on radio. And some evenings you might arrive in a hotel. You might you might just throw your bags in. You might go to the event that you're meant to be, whatever, you know, emceeing, and then just come back um, 
and go straight to bed and you're gone again before breakfast the following morning. You're not obliged to eat in a hotel. You're simply paying the money to, to, as it were, to have a room and a bed and a place to stay. But under the rules of staying at the hotel, provided you're over the age, I think, of 21, you are uh, or 18, I think, once you're in the presence of your parents or, or guardians, you are... You're you're entitled to unlimited amounts of alcohol, provided, of course, you don't start throwing the furniture out. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, I had I had a different opinion on that. I, I had thought that the bars and the restaurants were closed, that all you and the hotels were closed, and that all one could get would be a drink with a meal, um, not not the, not an open bar, you know. But um, no, I I I don't I I, I don't. I don't believe that. I, I, I mean, considering that a lot of the pubs at the moment, um, and I'm speaking from a Dublin perspective as well as from a Cork perspective, are serving alcohol without food. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think once you book in as a resident in a hotel, you are entitled to actually sit in the bar and order and order drink. You know. Okay. Listen, covered an awful lot of ground. It's a pleasure as always to catch up with you. Thanks so Likewise. much for taking the call. Talk soon. Thank- Thanks, Neil. Take care. The great Gareth O'Callaghan, 1850-104-106. Text 086-8104-106. We'll pick it up. Sorry, Noel, and other calls after the break. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04-106. Red FM. Put the cat among the pigeons. Lots of different texts coming in from people who've been in various hotels. Some they could get drink and others they couldn't. So uh, we'll come back to that, I promise you. Here's an interesting one. I won't give out your details, but thank you for the text nonetheless. Do you know at all, at all, if Michal Martin takes a drink. I'm very disappointed with him. My daddy lives in a rural area of West Cork and his local pub is more a community centre than a pub. My daddy is in his late 70s and has two pints every day. Sometimes it's the only human interaction he has. I'm very disappointed in the hall. But my friend told me he doesn't take a drink and that's why he's keeping the pubs closed. Don't call out my details. I love that term. Do you take a drink? It's a real old Irish term. Um, he does actually take a drink, does the Bowled Me Hall. Not many, though. Um, you know, he'd have one or maybe two. Uh, he wouldn't be a guy for hanging out of the Doll Bar or visiting various pubs around Dublin during the week um, on the lash. That's not the way Michal Martin rolls. But he does have a drink or two, but not many. How do I know that? I just know. I just know. Dan, good morning. Hello, 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 Neil, how are you? All right, um, off licenses in supermarkets, close them all, is it? Uh, they have to, they have to, yeah. Me, I don't know, he's got to stick his neck out another bit, really, and he's really got to clamp down there. Until such time, there's a vaccine found. Yeah, but yeah. Gareth Gallon was making the point, the prohibition never worked, it just drove it underground. Banning yeah, all alcohol sales is prohibition. Yes, but uh, I mean, it's under, oh, well, the pub's open. And then other thing aside in the public houses, there has to be a janitor at the toilets. Because after every person uses it, it has to be sterilized. That's what the biggest danger is when you go into them places. At the point, this is going on. There be, could be great back-to-work schemes in different areas like that, like COVID officers all over the place, paid for by the state, given six-month contracts. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, but uh, have the public can step up before they call? Um, well, <laughs> I, I know of one or two very rural pubs uh, that did get calls half an hour before the Copperoonies yeah, call, visited you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sir, I, I'm trying to lose a bit of weight now. And I, I like to go up into the proper point. But that means, does that mean I got to eat on top of it when I don't want to? You do, yeah, you do. Yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> and then other thing, people are building their own bars now in their own backyards and all that. And they're ordering beer cakes. No. 
they should, they should have a license to do that. No, not if it's for you yourself. I mean, if you're not, oh, yeah. if you're not, if you're not charging for it, then you don't have to. Yes, but there's other neighbours coming in, then you might get ten, twenty, thirty men there. I mean, they say like, hey, and the young people today they need a reality shock anyway. Close the off licenses down. Close the off licenses and open the pubs. Is it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you for that, Finbar. Standing by. First up, Vincent. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Neil. How are you? Okay, here, here's a man who um, drank quite an amount back in the in the day, but not anymore. Uh, what are your thoughts on all of this? I think they've. I think the Hallmark has made the correct call on this. One hundred percent right. There's a huge spike across the globe of the virus again. And one of the things I see about the pubs that are, are open with food, I've been around having a meal and whatever, is that the numbers in a around the table in a pub are, are big. Like, there there couldn't be that many in from one household in a family. And the danger with pubs is that when people, particularly smaller bars, when they get in, a few drinks, they're, up, they're very close to each other. And then you have a ventilation issue as well with the smaller pubs. Uh, you know, getting... Air circulation. Air circulation, particularly for the smaller bars. And, like, the bottom line... But wait a second, just stay on that point, because Gareth Gallen made an excellent point there. If you open all of the bars everywhere, that means that people will have more choice. They won't be congregating in only the ones that are open. They'll go back to their own watering holes, and the numbers will dissipate. They'll spread out more. I think if you open all the bars this weekend, all the bars would be would be very, very, very busy for the first weekend. There's no doubt about that. You see, the bottom line in the argument, and it's a straightforward choice, I was talking to a guy in Kerry during the week, you have to take into account public health and people's lives. The bottom line in this, over money or jobs. Like, which is more important? Human life or money? And that's the real argument. And it's still. But sure, if that's the argument, then why are they still allowing tourists from all over the world yeah. to come into yeah. Ireland, and we yeah. ain't allowed go? Well, we're, we could if we wanted, yeah. but we're told, okay. Why is yeah. that like? But if you look at it, we are an island nation. You know, we're surrounded by water, and we have to get people in. We have to do business and trade that way. You know, now a lot of the, these people. But you know, what kind of business in, or trade is being done at a port? where um, uh, a camper van is coming into the country. I know. We still need, like, being an island nation, you can't just shut off everything. It doesn't make common sense. No, these people that come in and go into a, a bar with food or whatever, they have to behave responsibly, and, and, and the, the, the hotel or bar has set out, you know, the rules. You know, when people come in, we have to keep the airports, we have to keep the country open. There's no doubt about that. But while we have control over the pubs, the pubs are a big, big danger. Pubs and nightclubs are the big danger of spreading the virus again, where you get pockets of people. The GA training is a little bit of a problem at the moment in different places. And it's, again, it's congregating people. Like if you open uh, a, 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 a pub in whatever, West Cork, or small but then young people are going to congregate. It's human nature. After a few drinks, you're going to be... But they're doing it anyway. But it's happening anyway. All of the rules or all of the regulations are being flouted anyway. People are touring around pubs and not eating the food and getting fake receipts. And Looking around generally, I find it's okay. I went for a, a burger the other night. I went to Luigi Malone's. Fantastic. That's not a pub. It's a restaurant. 
Nobody, yeah, it's a restaurant, but there are people sitting across, having a beer, having a pizza. Uh, I, I think the future really is about food, glass of wine, a few beers in a pub or in a restaurant or bar. I think the future for pubs is food, you know. And I think really and truly, if you actually look at it going forward, even before the COVID, rural pubs are on the way down. It's coffee is growing at a pace. It's incredible. I look at the one near me in Model Farm Road. It's booming since the lockdown. Take away coffee and they've now sit down bean town next to the rendezvous. Like pubs are smaller pubs are during the week the business is going down. Ah, yeah. Well, well, so we've got a long way now to finish them off. Now then, I I think they're. I'm not saying they're finishing them off, but I think they're because the, the way we are going out. I was talking to somebody in the pub together, and people will go out less often. Maybe have a food, have a good night out, wine, drinks. And they'll have a good night out and they'll spend good money. I don't think they're going to be going to the pub two or three or four nights a week. It's a, co- it's a change that's happening. But like on the public health thing, I think the, the government right now have made the proper call. I think Michal has done a good job on the Barry Cowan thing. I'm not a Fianna Fáil man, but I listened to him in the doll yesterday and he was very good. And I think he's made a correct call on this public health versus jobs. It's only the 10th of August. The other angle... You know that Hall Martin knew about the alleged U-turn, which Barry Cowan denies. Last Friday week he knew about it. Yeah, the, the issue was when he turned and ran away from the guards and Barry Cowan no, didn't come up with that. He says he, but, but like, bear in mind, yeah. Barry Cowan says he did not do a U-turn, but Hall Martin knew about that rumour. I don't think he did. He did. I don't. He I knew don't about it on the Friday before I spoke him on the air, which was last Monday week. He knew about it the Friday before. Yeah. He knew about it on. I don't have the exact date, but I think it was something like July third or something. Yeah. The thing for me was the Barry Cowan didn't come clean in the door with the hold. He didn't spill it all out, and even on the week in politics, he held back the thing of the U-turning, like effectively running away from the police. Well, he did hold it back because he said it never happened. Yeah, anyway, that's that's, that, that's for another day. Okay. Yeah, but um, that's my thinking anyway. On the, like, right. I'm, I'm not anti-pub, but I'm saying that you know. But uh, you, you're a, but you are anti-drink. You think we? You said in the past that we were obsessed with this yeah. as a nation. Oh yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a big day on Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, uh, the 19th of July, uh, I'll be 60 years of age. And if you ask me, eight or ten years ago, would I make to 60? <laughs> the odds were stacked against me. Like, if I hadn't given up the drink, I wouldn't be talking to you today. All right, well, I'm glad, I'm glad that you did, and I'm glad that you are. So thank you for taking the call. Uh, just one thing on that is that 30 years ago, nearly to the day, I went down to Frank Murphy in the county board, and I asked, could we dress the cock hurling team? And that year, I was responsible for it. I dressed the team, and as you know, 30 years ago, Cork won the double. Where were you? Where were you? Where were you working out of at the time? Thirty years ago. I, at the time, I was in Savile. Savile. But, but I was the one who went out and got to, and got it, and uh, they were eight points down in the first in the hurling, and they came out and won it, and in the football, then they won the double, and that. And you put that down to Savile suits, are you? Yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the the um the. Uh, if you look good, you feel good. The Hollers wore the Hollers wore a red tie, a white shirt, and a navy suit. And you wouldn't believe who was on to me recently. And he actually he uh, he took a leaf out of my book and what they wore. You know, a red 
tie, white shirt, navy suit. Donald Trump. <laughs> Go away, don't be annoying me. Have a good day, Vincent. 30 years ago, he dressed the Cork Hurlers and footballers, uh-huh. and we won the double. Anyway, Finbar, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks for holding. Go ahead. Uh, Neil, a couple of points there, right? Um, the decision there to allow pubs not to open was totally incorrect because the pubs did not cause the spike in these viruses. Right? They couldn't do, they weren't, well. No, no, what I'm open. saying is they, they didn't, like, you, you take rural pubs there in the middle of nowhere. Chris, the only congregation there would be rabbits and foxes, you know? They did not cause the spike. Anyway, you might disagree with me. Well, I'm, I'm not neither agreeing nor disagreeing, but I think that a lot of the smaller pubs in West Cork and Kerry, if you look at your Skull or your Baltimore or your um, Crook and places like that, should they be jammed across July and August, wouldn't they? Oh, but Neil, like, we, uh, we haven't reached July and August, no, yet, like, no, and as you know, like, if the two metres is not reduced to one, they couldn't have a big crowd in the pub anyway. No, that's the first point. Yeah. The second, the second point then, Neil, which is a, a concern to me as well, the new date, the proposed new date is August the 10th. No, what if the figures don't come down? What if the admissions and the new cases are gone up? In my opinion, they won't open on the 10th of August. Oh, listen, no. we could move back a phase, actually, on the 10th of thing. We could go, go back to phase one again. Anything could happen. Exactly. But are people aware of that? I mean, if that was to happen, Neil, Jesus, the whole place would be nearly shut down out of work. No, the third point in, right? And it makes no sense to me. The pubs that are allowed open because they serve food. They're allowed open, so you can't get the you can't get the coronavirus if the if you if you have food with your pint. But they want to load the pubs, the only pubs that don't sell food. Not, uh, they want to load them to open. That don't make sense to me either. Okay. So does it does it make sense to you? Um, they, listen, uh, without being accused of peddling the government narrative, they're saying that the hundred and five minutes is a maximum. Um, that you're going to be sitting at a table, you will never move, you won't be up at the bar mixing with friends, you will be eating, so more than likely you will drink less. That was the, that was the, that was the idea behind it. Of course, it's being abused, but that, that was the idea behind it, that it wasn't, uh, you know, a couple of hours on the lash, it was drink with a meal. But uh, Neil, I go to a particular pub, I'm known by colleague, and uh, I mean, Nobody, I've never seen anybody intoxicated or animated for 15, 18 years. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I have never, and it's, it's, it's on private property. There'd be no mass gatherings outside. So, uh, like. Yeah, but have you been there, have you been there on a Friday night or a Saturday night? Well, you see, Neil, I'm kind of a, a bit long in the tooth. See, you, now, might, you <laughs> might, you might be just there at quiet times, you see, that's the thing. No, Neil. I, right. Uh, right. Right, even if there was a congregation, if there was 20 or 30 people there, they're sitting on the outside, especially in the summer. Yeah, right? I they're, mean, they're yeah. Sitting on, yeah. They're sitting on, no. And the, the other point I want to make, Neil, is, right, it's, no, the present situation, right, it's a concern, but it's not a crisis. I don't think there's a crisis anywhere. I mean, like, if you were to look over, I, I mean, there was one time there we were planning for 85,000 deaths. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it was up to, no, I shouldn't mean to say that, it was up to 1,700, but they were forecasting 85 
thousand. I know, I know. And again, they're saying because of the actions that were taken by all of us, we flat, you know, that term, we flattened the curve. Okay, you made five different points. Thank you for him, Finbar. One, two, three, four, and five. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. There are other topics that I want to mention as well between now and midday. Uh, but first up, uh, let's stay with calls. Megan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So How are we're, you? We're, good. So we're back to travel, and for Monday, they'll be telling us that they will issue us with a green list of countries that it's safe to travel to, but in the same breath saying, don't travel. I mean, you couldn't make exactly. this thing up like. No, it's just ridiculous because we are the outliner. Because if you look at the rest of the Schengen opened on the 15th of June, so we're not, Ireland isn't in Schengen because we have the common travel area, which we're completely ignoring. But if you go to the UK, they're saying, no, nope. Northern Ireland, the UK government is saying, you're an Irish citizen, we are honouring the common travel area. But we're saying the same token. I mean, I saw Michal Martin on Andrew Mayer and he basically said English people are unwelcome, which is ridiculous. Every other European country is letting the English in. Every other European country has decided, look, we're never going to get rid of it. We have too many open borders. We have too many interconnecting borders. We can't, it's impossible to stop it spreading across borders. And it is. So they're saying, look, we're putting in these things where you have to wear face masks, you have to put in your contact details, and they're opening up. And you know what? Cases have been massively spiked. Yes, Lisbon is spiked, but then that's a lot of people moving within the group. Well, you could have, it could lead to clusters. I've no disrespect to Americans, but let's say a very, very high incident of COVID-19 at a particular state and you have six or eight of them coming in. Oh, I I completely agree with America, Brazil. Um, Romania has a very high rate at the moment. Uh, South Africa, they're incredibly high rates because their curve is on the way up. Am I saying that we should open our borders to countries with the curve going up? Of course not. I'm simply saying European countries where with the exception of outliers like Sweden and say Romania who are, and I think it's Moldova at the moment, theirs are still on the increase. But every other European country is rapidly decreasing. And but we're saying no, no, we don't America isn't though. We can't oh, go to oh, we no. can't go to the States. They can't Okay, I got I got a couple oh, no, of ad breaks. Let me just get to what you say we're looking for a scapegoat. What do you mean by that? Because Every, I think we all got in because at the beginning it was we're going to flatten the curve, we're going to curve this off. I think people got into this false sense of security that we and there, even there was the um, the leading experts said we to make this uh, a zero free island. We're going to be like New Zealand, but we have a shared border. And New Zealand don't, and New Zealand shut down their their country after eight community transmissions. We didn't. So it is in our community. It's low lying. It's going to be there. So I feel like there's a thing. Well, it's not our fault that it's not eradicated. It's, it's last week it was the travel. And one of that was because there was a cluster of 14 in a family house, which you're never going to stop. And he came up and in fairness, he filled out the form. He did do the thing. He just passed it in his family as ha- happened to us all this week it's the house parties and the young people because it's under 44 and don't get me wrong there are people doing it but at the end of the day what also has started happening with people I'm 28 is people are now going back to work so young people are going back to the low paid jobs they're going in and out they're interacting so a lot of people 
like say in their 20s and 30s aren't necessarily working in an office they're in and out of lo- in and out of restaurants they're in and out of things so they're interacting with a lot of people every day are there people falling out of houses yes was there people falling out of the houses at the height of the crisis yes but like I was in uh, I was in town shopping yesterday after work right there to go in I, to be honest I was looking for a face mask and just a heads up, Carol's in Patrick Street have ones with uh, carbon filters. Uh, but I saw people in and out of shops and they weren't put using the hand sanitizer going in and out of the shop. The amount of people I saw who had the face masks under their chin, which is the one thing you shouldn't do. If you want to take it off, you hang it off, take it off by the elastic. And they're going in there not time. using the hand sanitizer and picking things up and putting them down and trying things on and going around shelves and stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, and with the face mask. So we're trying to say there's a sca- we're trying to say it's someone else's fault, but at the end of the day, we all have to accept it is. And the clusters are in houses because when you get home, we've all got into this sense of security that we're all safe at home. But like at our house, what we've done is everyone has their own cutlery and their own plate and their own cups, and we don't trans- we don't there are plates there are pups and we don't swap them around okay, okay. and it's the same with town okay. but like Added precautions. Okay, thanks for that. Much obliged. Need to keep on moving. Thank you, Megan. Own plates, own cutlery, and they don't swap them around. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850 Red FM. After 11 this morning, conversation with, uh, actually, this is uh, coronavirus and its devastating consequences for one Cork family. That after 11. Uh, your man that was on the air, Clifford, with regards to masks and not wearing them and getting his research from YouTube and sick of people saying masks will make them sick. That theory has long been debunked. Prolonged use of any face mask has, mask has not been shown uh, to cause carbon dioxide toxicity or a lack of adequate oxygen in healthy people which is why people with medical conditions have the option not to wear one. Like, think about it. Painters, dentists, doctors, surgeons, and many more people were wearing them long before the COVID with no issue. If Clifford doesn't want to wear one, so be it. That's his choice. But the reason for masks is to protect the people around you. And I think it's just selfish not to wear one. Um, I got on the 202 bus yesterday at half past five in the evening from Merchants Quay. A large group of young people bothered without masks. In fact, I overheard a young man say, I'm not, I'm not wearing an effing mask. I had a mask, as did other people on board, who were mainly elderly people like myself. It's obvious to me this cannot be policed in any way. The government needs to employ security guards on each bus in the country, irrespective of the cost of it. It's all about saving people's lives, sending out a message to young idiots that elderly people's lives matter. Um, then there are texts with regards to the pubs and what have Connor says, what a load of crap. The government are leaving every other country in here and people can't even go to their local for a pint where distancing applies. He says it's a disgrace. The pubs that sell food didn't even obey the rules and they're still allowed to stay open. And all the other pubs that are still closed have to suffer the consequence. Well, just under three and a half thousand Irish pubs were due to reopen again on Monday. So all of those, of course, employ staff, etc., etc., etc. So those three, three and a half thousand have to wait maybe, what, kind of like three weeks. The government decisions in this and many other things defy logic. They really can't see what's happening with house parties and they're leaving the country open to every tourist. The people who voted for this shower are probably the same crowd moaning now. 
You'd probably get more tax revenue off house parties anyway, wouldn't you? And then one or two more. Makes no difference when the pubs do open. The virus is going nowhere. The first weekend they open the pubs, there'll be mayhem. And there'll be no physical distancing whatsoever. Marion says it's ridiculous. We can't travel out of our country, yet people can travel in here. And that makes no sense. It's probably the right decision, says Dara, but there's still other pubs that claim they're doing food that are still opened. That's hardly fair that they're opened and other pubs can't open just because they never did food. Well, and then some of the ones that are doing food involve takeout menus. But I suppose food is food. If it's over nine euro and it's edible. Um, anyway, back after 11 on 1850, 104, 106. Thank you. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. All right. And we were talking about, uh, you know, whether we are overreacting or underreacting and tourists coming into the country and wearing masks and not wearing masks and whether that was reopened or not. And people were saying that it was completely over the top and we were being controlled by government and all this kind of stuff. And did you know anybody that ever got COVID-19? So that was a lot of during the week. And then I was contacted by uh, Ian O'Sullivan. Sullivan, who I spoke to yesterday off air because uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus, had devastating consequences in his own uh, family. Um, and, uh, you know, when I heard before I spoke to him, when I heard what happened in the family, it sent shivers up my spine. I said, oh, my God, that is just so tragic. That's why I called him and he agreed to talk. Uh, to some extent, it's to let people know that when it does visit, this is a Cork story with the Cork family. It can be absolutely devastating. Can you just take us through your story? Because it was actually the 14th of March that you felt unwell. And that's, you know, reasonably early on the COVID-19 journey in Ireland. Yeah, very, very early. Um, yeah, it was Saturday the 14th of um, 14th of March. Um, I just didn't feel 100%. Um, uh, I... I it was it was Cheltenham week. I'm kind of a big fan of the rating, so I was watching the rating. And on the Saturday, I just didn't feel great. And I was there to be okay. And then the same Sunday, I wasn't I didn't wasn't feeling good, but I, I was just putting it down to just not feeling the best. So, um, and then of course it was that Sunday that the, the country was kind of closing down, and pubs were closing, and the, just the shops were closing, and all that. So, and had you? I was aware. Yeah. Had uh, you? Were you? Were you watching Cheltenham in a pub or at home? Were you in contact with anybody who'd come to, from Cheltenham, anything like that? Um, I was out and about the, that week. All right, um, I was. I was out and about for Cheltenham. Um, I wasn't in Cheltenham. I was, but I was out and about in in, in a couple of pubs actually over that that week. So. Whether that was their cause, I don't know. That's a million-dollar question. I, if I knew the answer to that, I suppose. Okay. Uh, but I, I wasn't in Cheltenham, no. And when you, when you started to feel unwell, what were the symptoms? Um, I suppose uh, the, for the first few initial days, um, the first, it just felt like just not, not well, maybe kind of a bit kind of... Exhaustion and a bit kind of, um, kind of fluey symptoms, I presume, um, really. My throat, I, 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 I can get, I can get tonsillitis from time to time, so my throat can be quite sore, so my throat was niggly a little bit as well. So, Alright, yeah. Um, okay. Headaches? So that, and then on the, so that, so that was the sun, the Monday, and then the Tuesday, because they were so on the media and on the radio and on the TV, they were saying, look, if you feel like symptoms, make sure you isolate and contact your doctor or so on and so forth. Um, I live, I live, I, I live at home. I lived at home with my mother and I was a full-time carer and she was 83. So obviously I was, 
if 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 it was going to be COVID, like obviously at the I went into lockdown and obviously because of her age and stuff, I was worried about that. So I contacted my doctor and um, my doctor at the time the protocol was um, could isolate and they'd come and they'd get you tested in the next. I think at the time it was four day. Was it a four day kind of a? I think back. I think it was a four day before they'd come back to you. So I did. I did just that. I isolated, um, stayed at home, stayed in my room. Um, everybody, the country at that time was kind of really up and nobody kind of knew what was happening. But uh, I had some friends drop me off some medicines. Just I, I self medicated myself for the next nine days. Um, so I just tried to tried to drink water, and I was I was I was kind of taken to the bed. Really, I was. It was really knocking me. I was kind of exhausted and stuff. And, and who was I minding? Who was you know, your exhausted? You were probably drinking a lot of vitamin C and you know yeah, paracetamol yeah. and stuff. And who was minding your mam? I was also doing that to the to the best of my ability. Um, on my, I have I have I have five sisters, and they they came. They was come to the outside of the house, and they. Did. At that time, there was no one coming in, but I tried my best to, to cook for her and do as best I could. But I wasn't. I tried to stay away from her then, and the other side of it, you know, because like obviously, for, because we were listening to so much, nobody knew what to do. So early March, yeah. Um, mm. So I, I, I literally didn't leave, leave the house. I didn't leave the house. People brought stuff. My sisters brought food. They brought. I didn't leave the house. I, I literally stayed in my bedroom, toilet, bedroom, toilet. That was about it, you know. <laughs> By the time um, you got to day ten, how are you yeah. feeling? Um, I woke up on the, the Tuesday morning, which would have been day ten, and felt like there was someone sitting on my chest. Um, I really couldn't catch my breath. I was really not. Um, I just I was coherent and everything, but I, it just felt like there was a weight on my chest, and felt like my 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 throat was all just. I couldn't breathe. I literally couldn't catch my breath. Yeah, you rang your GP. Yeah, I I actually rang a sister of mine first, and she said to me because in all in all this time uh, I hadn't heard back about the test in all, in that ten day period. I haven't heard, I hadn't heard back about the test at the time. In the sense, you hadn't got a result, positive or negative. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't got. I hadn't even got. I hadn't even gone for the test. I was I was waiting for this phone call to go for the test back then. Oh, and it so didn't happen. ten days later, still no test. It, Still no test. No. I forgot test. about and that. I, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I had strong symptoms at the time, so still no test. No. So, so you uh, rang you rang your sister, but I I know you did ring your GP, didn't? That yeah. Well, I literally rang my sister, and she knew by my voice. She said, "You're not you're not well. Ring your GP." So I literally hung up from her, and then I rang my GP straight after, and. Um, who I have a very good relationship with, I'm with her twelve years, and we, I, I, so she knows me well, you know. So she, she knows, she knows, she knows who I am and everything about me. So when I contacted her, she rang me back. Uh, at the time, they were working from home, so you leave your number and they ring you back. So she rang me maybe fifteen minutes later, and I just started talking to her, and she said, "Okay," she knew by my voice, and she said, "Could you just do one thing for me?" She said, uh, "Would you mind um, count to thirty for me?" She said, "And I'll be able to judge from that." with my breath and whatever and I literally got to maybe three three four and she said okay she says um, just she says get ready there's an ambulance on the way she says you're not well she says I can hear by your throat there's something seriously wrong don't take anything with me because if it's COVID they'll be incinerated everything she said you can take a phone for contact but she said I'll send one straight away 
so um, ambulance picked you up took you to the mercy where you became the first person with coronavirus in that hospital that is correct yeah, yeah. Um, even from the very start it was quite scary because there was two ambulances turn up um, at that time again because it was so fresh and so new one is a cold ambulance and one was a, was a normal ambulance so if you picture the scene, like there were two ambulances inside my front door. <laughs> um, I was here um, at this time. My sisters had turned up outside. My mother was inside her room looking. So it was all it was. All, it was quite dramatic from the very off set because nobody. I was all of a sudden. I was like the person that nobody wanted to be around. You know. I know, but this. Sure let me ask a question that will be relevant yeah. to a little later in our conversation. Did you say yeah. goodbye to your mother, or did you have a conversation with her before you left the house? Um, I wasn't well enough to have a conversation, really, but I just kind of gave her a kind of salute with my eyes when I, I because when when the chap came in to my house that was fully suited and booted, um, obviously he put the mask on me and he put uh, I, I I had PP on me before I even left my house, so I just kind of said good luck to her. But if I yeah, it, it would be slightly different if I knew now what I if I knew now what I know what I, what I do know. I, I would have probably played things slightly different. And at what stage did you hear? Was this afterwards that you heard that two days after your admission to the Mercy, your mother followed you into the Mercy? Yes. Um, when I went into the Mercy, um, I first went to A and E, obviously, and. Um, it was so I was so new in there that everybody was looking at me in a good way because they were like, "Oh, hey, this is the start of our kickoff." And as I, I was because I was the very first admission, and I was in they built these boots in the A and E, and they were so new that they were actually finishing. The cameras were still finishing the boots when I was in one of these. They were like isolation boots that they, that they put in there for for people to for you know to keep them away from everybody else, you know. Um, and I was obviously x-rayed and tested and then I was put up to an award and yes I had my phone I had my phone I was, so I was coherent enough I had my phone but so I was in contact with obviously with my sisters texting back and forward and t- texting my mother and all that so I found out then that my mother took ill yet uh, two days later and she followed me she actually followed me right into the same ward she was right across the road right across the, 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 the hall for me she was in the ward across from your ward we were in the same ward. We were in St. Joseph's, but like I was room five, I think she was room eight, but we were direct. We were directly across from each other. We were right across the way from each other. And you, and she was in for testing positive for coronavirus. Well, she was, she just, um, I think the story goes that she just, she didn't feel well and so on and so forth. Again, uh, one, she made contact with one of my sisters because I observed in hospital um, they came. There was she didn't. So they tested her, and again she was shifted by ambulance. Um, they, at the time, they weren't they weren't one hundred percent sure, but because of my situation, obviously, and because of her age, she was eighty eighty three, and because of she uh, everything they had to go and treat her as a, as a COVID from the day one. So they they weren't one hundred percent at the time, but. Two days later, into the same hospital she goes in the ward across from yours. You were put into an induced coma, weren't you? Yes. So maybe two days later, I did. I was on the gas mask, and I was getting gradually worse by the hour, not alone the day. So I couldn't really talk. Um, my chest was heavy, 
Um, I just couldn't. I just they were treating me. I think they were giving me fluids, and they were they were. I I believe they were giving me an anti-malaria drug. Um, I think that's how they started the treatment. But I wasn't really improving. If anything, I was getting worse. I think the gas. Um, I was but by, by the hour I was, I was really deteriorating, and they were. Uh, they moved me right behind the nurses' station, and I know from past experiences when you're there. You're not in a great shape because they, they want to keep an eye on you all the time, you know. So I was I was conscious of this and um they came and they said to me that they wanted to do what they call pruning, which is turn you on your stomach mm. and try to help to, to let breathing. the breathing help yeah. better, you know. <laughs> but so Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, so the, the so they introduced me to uh, um they said that the way that they'd probably have to do it would put me into an induced in coma. So uh, incubation, as they call it. So I was obviously kind of reluctant and I was, because they were saying we'd have to put you under for maybe two weeks at least. So obviously straight away I got upset and I, I didn't want, I didn't want to go down this road, obviously, even though at the same time I couldn't breathe. So I obviously, they're the doctors, I, and but I knew that they were kind of winging it a bit too because at the time they didn't have an idea what what. what well you were upset of course did you ask them what your chances were? Um, not, probably didn't ask them that but what I did ask them was they kind of said to me if you don't do this I, I always remember she was um, she was a South African um, lady and she said to me that because I was number one in the hospital and that I was so early on that she had ICU beds. She had people to put me under. I would get the best of care. She said, this time, two weeks' time, who knows if we get the spike that everybody's expecting. Will you be treated so the same? Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. The long, the long, and you know in hospital life, uh, things can move so fast. So they literally wanted me to go, go, go. And I was like, I, and I was like okay. Like, I, I was just taken back and I, I wasn't sure what to do. But I know I had to do it, but I was scared. I suppose I was scared to do it, you know? Yeah. And of course, you were on your own. You couldn't... Have family come in. I was on my own. Yeah, I was on my own. My mother was running through my head, obviously. Um, I have I have an, a nine-year-old daughter. She was running through my head. I've had past experience before, and I was there like two weeks. What, what, like, I just, everything was running through my head, you know, so. And as I far as really you knew at that stage, your mom was still at home, but of course, she was actually in the same hospital as you. And you lost 12 days and nights then, didn't you? That's, that's, a, that's not even a blurt It doesn't exist. You were out. I was yes. I can remember. Oh, I can remember up obviously yeah, until they put me out. Um, yeah, twelve days and nights of my life. That, um, yeah, complete blur. Um, not just it's not just the twelve days, but the, 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 definitely yeah, the twelve days. Definitely, I was I was gone for yeah. And do you recall coming round and coming out of it? Um. Yes, they tried to they tried to reduce my coma a couple of days previous to when I came out, and I have recollection of that. Um, things didn't really go to plan. Um, they kind of they nearly lost me actually at at one point because whatever way they reduced the coma, my body reacted and it didn't really go to the way they wanted it to go. So they actually had put me back to me a second time. So I, was, I went back under then again for another three days, I think. Yeah, I think one days. of the problems, I'm not a medical man, but certainly watching the pandemic show on RT, there's a big worry about organ failure and, and things like that yeah. and a drop yeah. in body temperature, you know. And on yeah, the 7th I, of April, you were successfully 
taken out of the coma. Do you recall that day? Yes, it was a Monday. It was actually the 6th. It was Monday the 6th, um, the morning of Monday the 6th. I, I do recall the day, yeah. For, 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 for so many reasons I recall the day. Um, some good and some definitely not so good. Some desperate. One good one was yeah. that you had survived it, but unfortunately yeah. your mother hadn't. Yeah, that's correct. Who broke the news to you? Um, <laughs> my sister. Um, my sister. It was. I I came around and apparently I was asking. Um, I was asking for my daughter and I was asking about for my mother. Um, my sister had uh, had because my phone my phone was turned off obviously so they needed to get my phone on for someone to video call me to, because my sister wanted to tell me obviously um, we would be quite close and she obviously didn't want to come in from anyone but a family member you know so I was asking and asking but they were having trouble with my pin my pin on my phone and my nurse at the time it was a, it was a male nurse and he was asking me and obviously because of the meds and I was a bit all over the place um, I, I was a bit confused myself because I think that's that's part and parcel of it so it took a while but we, we got we got there and my sister video called me then because you couldn't have anybody in the hospital so your sister on a screen had to tell you the terrible news yeah that is exactly the way it went um, there was two nurses in the room and my sister was on the other side of the phone yeah on this video call um, and yeah, I I relive it quite a bit. Um, it wasn't a very pleasant time in my life. Oh my God, man, that is just so awful. She died four days before you came out of coma. And forgive me now, but it was coronavirus that took her, wasn't it? 100%, yeah. Um, 100%. What about what about her funeral, her, her removal? Who was at it? You certainly weren't. No, I won't, and I'll forever take it to my own grave that I was never at my mother's funeral. For, and uh, I was so close, but yet so far as in distance-wise, you know. Um, it was a very scary time for my family because um, I have five sisters, and as I said, we're quite close. And um, they were like, they had their mother in a, in inside the hospital in a, in a not a very good condition. They had their brother in, in ICU <laughs> fighting for his life, and nobody could contact us no one could they could see nobody there was no information they could not visit the hospital um, the funeral I know now because I've been told obviously the funeral was so surreal for all my family it was at the time it was the whole 8 or 10 people were allowed to go I'm, I have a lot of nieces and nephews all that it was all stopped um, mm. my mother in fact she died on the, the 2nd of April um, I think it was a Thursday morning and she was actually in Kilcully and all in I think it was twenty I think it was twenty six or twenty seven hours later. My no none of nobody ever saw my mother again. So she literally left the hospital in an enclosed um coffin. My sisters never saw her, um nobody ever saw my mother ever again. Was anybody with her when she passed away, Ian? Um, that is a question that I, I um, I'd like, uh, I, I don't know, I, I, none, there was, there was no family with her, if that's, you're asking, but, um, 
there was obviously nurses there because um, a few of them had spoke to me in later on uh, because they knew they obviously knew my situation and knew my mother from being in the hospital. So there was there was certainly staff with her, but no family member. No. It's just so tragic, you know, it, on, on a grand scale of, of tragedy. And I w- yeah, yeah, it's horrific for my family because they. It's one that they can't because like that, um, like I left my home. I left my home that morning, and I never saw. I have never seen. I have never seen my mother again. You know, misfortune. And how how do you feel in your head? I mean, it's it's a difficult question for me to ask. But you're an intelligent guy. Is there any feeling that it was because that you got it that she got it? Well, who knows. Um, who knows? I mean, I'm not saying that with any amount of certainty, but I'm just asking the question. Yeah, she gives me, did I give to her? Where does it come from? Who knows? Well, that's the million-dollar question. It's something, obviously, that I have to deal with myself. Oh, for God's um, sake, that's just terrible. And, like, who knows? But, like, it's a situation, like, and at, as the way things are um, at the moment, because... I I turn on the television. I pick up. I turn on the radio. I pick up my phone. I go to my local shop. It's around me. It's taken over my life because I can't get it. You can't get away from coronavirus at the moment, and it's it frustrates me sometimes when I hear some of the stuff on the radio and stuff because yes, my journey was horrific. Yes, I almost died. Yes, my mother died, but I also know of people that have known because uh, you, you have even said many a time yourself on your own way just that you know nobody and nobody and so so people think it's a myth and it's far from a myth I, I can guarantee you that no and that's why it, that was, that's why it was important that you spoke to say you know this is not a myth or it's not over or it's not a conspiracy theory or it's not big brother stuff it's real just look at my story that's what you'd be saying you know yeah, very, very real. Um, uh, really, really real, and that's why it, it runs. It's, it, it, it's, it's like, and my recovery because uh, from incubation and from all that, which I didn't know at the time. Um, physical, even your like when I when I woke on the Monday, I couldn't. I can't. I couldn't walk. I couldn't go to the toilet. I, I had the, the mercy had to teach me how to walk again, which sounds ridiculous. No, I hear actually, that the rehab is very slow. You know. Yeah. Your, your daughter, your daughter must have been so relieved, though. I mean, that her daddy was back. Yeah, it, like she, she, she's she's my world, as you can imagine. Like oh. all, all kids are, but she's um, she. I, I I think I aged her a bit when I because she was the last person I rang before I actually went under because I wanted to speak to her for obvious reasons, and um, I think obviously she was upset, but. Uh, and then for the two weeks that nobody knew what was happening so she she, she, she didn't know no one knew the, my sister now my sister's kept them informed but like my sister would ring every day and ask how are I and but you're only getting information over a phone and yeah what do you know. actually say to a, a nine year old daughter when you're going to be uh, put into a coma for two weeks what do you say uh, basically I told her I loved her and that I was sick and um that's what did, that I had to go and do this to get better and she understood to a certain extent um, obviously she was crying and upset <laughs> like myself but um, 
no, I couldn't say any more to her. Um, in hindsight as well, I was made so cough for breath, I couldn't, my speech was a bit, she, so I was a bit, I'd say she goes, she obviously had a big fright, yeah. In hindsight, would you have said more, are you saying? Um, I probably should have, because maybe I took it, even at that stage, I wasn't, didn't realise how serious, uh, yeah, how, sure, that's serious hindsight. How, how sick that, I was. That's hindsight, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you visited your mum's grave? Yes, I go. Um, I go quite religiously to to um, up there to um, see if I can. Uh, um, does it do anything for me? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's such a it's such a strange situation. Like because, as I said, I left my home. I came back to a house when and she wasn't here, and she's still not here, obviously. So um, it's, it's a funny. It's a funny one. Listen. Um Thank you so much for for taking the call because, um, you know, it's such an important story that you have to tell because, as you say, there is complacency setting in now. And, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, that's something that you wanted to address. And and I really am grateful that you did, Ian. Thank you so much. Yes. Before I go, can I just thank somebody? Absolutely. You have the floor. First and foremost, I want to thank my family and my close friends who, when I came out of hospital first, looked after me and still do. Um, and I'd love uh, to thank the Mercy Hospital from the deepest part of my heart because I know they do get recognition, but what they did for me, um, from the cleaners to, from the nurses to the doctors, and a special thanks to the ICU nurses because if it wasn't for them, male or female, I wouldn't be here today physically, but I definitely wouldn't be here mentally because the way they keep you motivated and they keep you upbeat and they're having horrific days themselves and they keep everybody's morale so high and they keep you going. It's it's an absolute credit to them. They're, they're the, you could not thank these people enough. And of course, at the time, they were going into the unknown. You were the first patient. They didn't know there could have been thousands like you, you know, uh, and yet they still did their job so professionally. 100% and done it so professionally and were so upbeat and kept you morale and... Uh, keep keep our spirits going and oh I couldn't thank them enough they were if I've said this to people already I was in such a horrific um, situation but I got the best care and the best of everything and they were so good I'd just forever be in their debt Are you very um, cautious now as you go about your business and go out and about with regards to COVID-19 yeah. and masks yeah, and physical distancing? I, I, um, even though, um, even though I have probably antibodies built up yeah. now at this stage, yeah. but it's still is it's still a situation that could be a second string of it. It could be another another strain of another it. Um, yeah. So we could go full circle very easily. Okay, listen, Ian, mind yourself. Thank you so much for taking the t- the call. It's lovely to talk to you, and condolences on your ma'am. All right. Thanks, Ian. Thanks. Mm. Sat in the waiting room, she wouldn't forget Her palms in Facebook, soaked in sweat There's doctors in the other room, they're running some test Her mom and dad, hand in hand, doing their best Something you should know I'm never gonna let you go 
something else and we play that for Ian's ma'am who lost her battle to COVID-19 at the age of 83 in the same ward as himself that song is by the Cork singer songwriter Gerald Ahern and he wrote it for his own ma'am Charlotte Ahern who lost her fight to cancer Um, and he got in touch with me some days ago and sent me 
the audio of that song. He's just an incredible talent. And he said, I've been in with you as a musician a lot over the years. Well, the reason you've been in with me, Gerald, is because you're an incredible talent. And he said, thank you uh, for it. We've always spoken about my amazing mother's fight for her life against cancer. I spoke to you. You did talk to me about it on the air over the last few years. And one of the times he was in recently and played in the studio with me, uh, we played a little request for his, for his mom who was in getting chemo treatment at the time. He said she was the light of my life and uh, she said the most amazing mother in the world that hid away her agony and put everybody first. She was a true hero. He said I'm I'm heartbroken that she sadly passed away on the 7th of July in her home surrounded by all of us and it would be lovely if you gave our hero a few lines on the radio. Here's a song I wrote for her, Stay Strong and that's the song I just played there on the back of the interview with Ian because I thought it was the proper place to play it as a tribute to uh, Ian's ma'am and also, of course, to Gerald's ma'am, Charlotte, and to all of us who've lost loved ones, particularly mothers. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Yes, indeed. A lot of uh, texts coming in with regards to my conversation with Ian. That's the saddest thing, Neil, but we really needed to hear that story. Thank you for that. Uh, that poor man. Send him my love uh, to him and his family. This is, uh, this is the real story behind COVID, says Patrick. That poor family. I'm bawling listening to Ian. It's so, so sad. He was so close but yet so far away to be in the same hospital, a mother and son fighting for their lives. Absolutely tragic. Morning, Neil. Listening to that caller whose mother died of COVID, it's sad to listen to that caller's story. Just so upsetting. Yes, but I think it puts a face, doesn't it? When you think of the statistics, you really look beyond the statistic to each story behind them. Ian and his family, especially his mother, salt of the earth. Best wishes to Ian and all of them, says John. Uh, what a beautiful sound to play, Neil. Listening to it here with a tear in my eye, over losing my own ma'am to COVID at the age of 60. Well, I played that for your mother as well. It just was the apt sound to play at the time. Terrible story. Delighted he pulled through. Very sad news for his mum. Another one here, bawling, just bawling. What a real punch. Yeah, it's one of those conversations that I'm just going to rivet you to the spot. I was the very same yesterday uh, while chatting with them off air. So, lads, um, I'm going to leave that there until tomorrow. Um, just as, as a by the way, it was my intention to stay on the air on Monday because I had thought that, um, that we were going to move through phase four and the final phase on Monday. And I had wanted to stay on the air until the final phase. Um, and then it was due to finish work for a couple of weeks on, at Monday lunchtime. But of course, Michal and the gang scuppered all of those plans. And it's back now to the 10th of August. So tomorrow will be my last day for a couple of weeks. Mick Mulcahy will be in the hot seat here with Brenda and the gang. You'll be in, in good hands. And then I'll be back um, and we'll be together again for, <laughs> hopefully we'll be moving through uh, the fourth phase on, on the 10th of August. Not going overseas or anything. No, sorry. Doing everything I can to... Uh, uh, enjoy our own beautiful country. And so can you. And so can you. Because we have loads and loads of family passes for various tourist outlets right across uh, this week and next week. And please God into the week after that. We've done Spike Island. We've done Photo Wildlife Park. We've done Cork City Jail family passes. We're doing Blarney Castle, Kiss the Blarney Stone. you got a double hander down in Yall with the Mary's Collegiate. It's a beautiful church. It's like 12, 13, 14, maybe 1500 years old. If you haven't seen it. A visit to y'all is definitely worth it for that alone. We also have passes for the all clock gate to give away. Cove Heritage Centre, you know the Queenstown story? 
super stuff. Skibbereen Heritage Centre, incredible with the famine memorial. Ring the Shandon Bells, go whale watching, lots of different things like that. In fact, talking about being on the water down east, I cruised up the Blackwater with Captain Tony of Yawl Cruises and another couple. What a fantastic trip we had. When you imagine from Tony's history telling of all the battles fought and the gentry houses and castles plundered, and then you look around at the peace there now, in all its historical magnificence, you become subsumed by it all, the Blackwater in its majesty. Molana Castle and Ballinatray House and the history behind them, the lush deep green forest that surround us on the whole trip. You can only look and wonder at the beautiful, sensuous, flowing Blackwater, the silence being broken by leaping salmon. I would highly recommend this trip to those holidaying at home. Uh, and that's from Siobhan Dempsey. You know what? You're dead right. And maybe if we twist a couple of arms, we might be able to get a couple of family passes for the Blackwater trip with Captain Tony of Yaw Cruises. I'll get the lads to work on that. But we'll be opening the phone lines in a few minutes' time for Oak Fire Pizza Giveaway for you guys who've been listening right through the last uh, uh, four months. We've got um, vouchers to give away for Princess Street, Bridge Street, uh, Bandon and Rossa Street, Clonakilty. And Oak Fire Pizza on Princess Street, they're part of the Eat on the Street phenomenon. You can eat in the sunshine there over the next few days. Uh, book Oakfire Pizza, www.oakfirepizza.ie. So we'll open those phone lines in about five minutes' time. I have a weekend break for the moorings in Port McGee. Then I'm going to move to my Instagram page because there's an awful lot of other activity happening on the air here. So if you're following me on Instagram, or indeed if you're not, you might suggest, um, could I humbly suggest that you might follow me on Instagram. Two nights bed and breakfast, one evening meal at the moorings, bottle of Port McGee whiskey. Uh, and lots of different vouchers, including the Skellig Experience. Uh, and I might even bump into you down there. So that prize is moving to Instagram, and I'll draw that uh, hopefully before the end of the week. Um, but today I want to talk a little bit about uh, West Cork. And I told you that we have Skibbereen Heritage Passes to give away. We've also had the wonderful passes for uh, whale watching. But place that I haven't visited and I intend to visit is down to um, Michael Collins' house down in Clonakilty. Uh, it's a museum dedicated to the big fella. And the manager down there is Jimmy Murphy. He's going to tell us all we need to know. Jamie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. I've, I've always had an interest in the big fella, right up to and including Bale Nablaw. Is his whole life encompassed in the museum? Yeah, and even a little bit beforehand. So what we try to do is we kind of try and set the platform of kind of where Collins and people love Collins of Silk really came from as well as his whole life, you know, so you're kind of talking about his life in Clonakilty and his life kind of growing up just as a young boy all the way through his kind of teenage years to his time in London. Many people know Collins lived in London for 10 years before returning back for the 1916 rising and then obviously it's the more active period of Collins through the War of Independence and the, the Anglo-Irish Treaty and all the way up to Signing the treaty, the the divisions in Irish society because of it. Exactly. Um, his love affair with Kitty Kiernan features too, doesn't it? Like they, yeah. they were they were madly in love, and, I, and I've seen some letters. Clearly, you must have some of those. Yeah, we have a couple on display there, so we do. And we kind of change them out every now and then, so that we kind of keep them fresh and that kind of thing. That like when Collins Collins got engaged to Kitty just before going over for the treaty negotiations, and they agreed to re- write to each other every day. Um, so there's about 300 letters in total between the two of them. That gives a, a huge insight into Collins, not only into his personal life and his kind of love for Kitty and that kind of thing, but also, I suppose, his mentality and that at the time of the treaty as well. So it's a, a great insight into Collins as well. What kind of a love affair do they have? Um, do you know, 
it's kind of it's a difficult one to say through letters. Like it's obvious that Collins very much was in love with Kitty, um, and but I suppose at the time of the treaty, Collins is under a huge amount of stress trying to negotiate this peace treaty. That uh, like Collins at the time he's just barely 30 years of age mm. has never been taking part in anything like that before and like the, the signs of stress are really telling on them as well and they're so, telling in the letters too aren't they yeah exactly yeah and um, you know so like physically Collins was kind of suffering with stomach ulcers and everything just purely from the stress as well and you can kind of see that in some of the letters Kitty is just you know trying to have a conversation with her fiance and Collins is kind of really preoccupied with this kind of big tr- peace treaty that he's trying to negotiate as well so he can be a bit um, short with her on some occasions but I suppose one of the main things that comes through the letters as well is that Collins really he just wants to get the best deal for Ireland as as he says in the letters and just return home and start a life yeah. with Kitty and yeah. that, that's his main main aim and like. of course that never happened well he did come back but we know of what happened back. subsequently yeah so the, I suppose they, they were due to get married um, on a number of occasions in kind of in 1922 that was pushed back because of the Civil War and they eventually set a date on the 20th of October and we, as we know I suppose they, they never actually reached a date Collins was killed on the 22nd of August 1922 At Bail that features in yeah. the museum as well as well as an exhibition on the War of Independence itself I believe and you have some fantastic artefacts so everybody who has Tom Barry's watch very envious of that you have Tom Barry's revolver don't you? We do, yeah. We have a couple of different things here belong to Tom Barry. We have um, his revolver and a holster. Um, we actually have a little diary belong to Tom Barry as well. And one of the other interesting things that we have, obviously, Tom Barry wrote a very famous book, Gorilla Days in Ireland. And we have the typewriter on which that was written, So, as well as a, a first edition copy of it. So. And I believe you also have that very famous Michael Collins cane, don't you? The swagger yes, stick, as yes, they call yes. it. Yes, so the, as uh, the, it went up for auction... Um, at the end of last year and was bought by a private collector who has kindly loaned it to the museum here for display for 2020. So that has got an awful lot of attention for us here in the museum as well and it has pride of place there. And this, the is, um, this is Emmett Square where he lived on the square, didn't he, with his sister for a few years. I mean, the home place is a, is a farm ruin, isn't it? Yeah, so the, the birthplace is about five kilometres outside. So Collins and the family were farmers. So the, the original farm is out at Woodfield, as I say, it's out close to the Safari village, out, as I say, about five kilometres outside Clonakilty. So when he was 13, then when Collins was finished primary school, he went to primary school out in Lizard and he came into Clonakilty town here to attend the national school in Clonakilty to, to study for the civil service exams, which is just around the corner from Emmett Square here. So while he was attending that school, he lived on the square here with his sister Margaret and her husband Pat. And the layout of the house from the photographs I'm seeing would be reminiscent of how a home like that, for somebody with a few bob, would have looked in the 1920s, am I right? Um, well, it'd be probably more restored to how it would have looked uh, when it was originally built in the Georgian period. So they were oh, originally earlier. Kind of, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they would have been originally built kind of for, I suppose, the local merchants and kind of high society. Beautifully laid out. Though. At the time. Um, by the turn of the century when Collins and his um, sister were living here, things would have been changed a little bit. And a lot of the properties kind of would have had people renting them and had businesses in them and that kind of thing. So yeah. it would have been changing slightly at that period. Okay, okay. So you're up and running with all necessary precautions for COVID. So lower exactly, bookings. Yeah. And like, how long would somebody need for the tour? It's the self guided, but how long? Generally about an hour.
generally about an hour. So um, now, obviously, it's a matter of interest as well. Like we could have people in here. Um, at the moment, the way we have it set up is that everybody has a kind of designated time of an hour and a half. Um, and they're set out in special time slots as well. So when people come in, they're not crossing over with any other tour I like it. But would there be a guide there where you, can, where you can ask some questions at the end or something? Yeah. Yeah, well, what we actually have, um, we have an audio-visual guide that you, you go to on your own mobile. It's actually a Michael Collins House app as well, and we have podcasts, and we have articles oh, and God. videos and all that on it, as well as everything else. Um, but as, apart from that, one of the things that's on it is an audio guide of the museum itself. So that answers an awful lot of questions as well, but obviously we have staff here as well. We have kind of one that's actually kind of floating around the museum as well, because I suppose with the COVID as well as everything else they're sanitising everything as each group passes through and we have somebody outside in reception that are I suppose are all well able to answer all your questions they're all qualified historians and authors of books and all the rest as well Undoubtedly it's well worth the visit Michael Collins House opens all year round Tuesday to Saturday 10 in the morning to 5pm I have family passes and I thank you for them Jamie thank you so much for taking the call And Neil when you are on your holidays pop out to us we'll be sure to give you a I can't wait. I really mean that sincerely. Thank you so much, Jamie. Cheers. Thanks very much, manager at the house itself. Further details: uh, MichaelCollinsHouse.ie. Lads, go for it. But after the break, we get some giveaways. Hold on. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. Eighteen fifty one zero four one zero six. Gotta go. Yes, indeedy. Our phone lines are open. One eight fifty one zero four one zero six. We have vouchers for piping hot large pizzas from Oak Fire Pizza. Get dining for those, and also the family. Pack for various tourist attractions, in particular Michael Collins' house. Get Donning for those for you and the family, 1850-104-106. Many, many people asking me about that song. We're talking about Gerald Hearn's song, Stay Strong. And uh, yes, indeed, to answer your question, it is available on YouTube. You can listen to the song and watch the very moving video to go with it. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.